You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you tri freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. This episode is going to be about Ironman Canada and also about age group nationals here in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's where I'm at right now. I am sitting on the bike course, trying to get some distance between me and the screaming crowds as we're on day two of the youth championship and they're doing some kind of relay. Looks like uh, 15 to 18 year olds maybe doing a relay, boys and girls. Uh, it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic venue. It's super cool. So if you've got a kid doing triathlon and you want to do nationals, uh, man, it is absolutely awesome. Kai's racing today. And uh, throughout the show, or after we do the uh, Ironman Canada uh, review, which I'm going to try to blow through as fast as I can, then uh, we've got great audio of before Ironman Canada and after, and then a little bit of interviews uh, here at the... um, at the race site itself, I realized at one point I was sitting next to the 11-year-old female cycling champion of Texas, <laughs> and uh, I got an interview with her squeezed in there at the end of the show as well, so it's super, super cool, and again, I'm out on the bike course, so at any minute, we might get uh, some bike racers going by. It just kind of depends. They're doing the run segment of a pretty big race right now, and the cycling portion may be over, and it may be a little while, so let's go ahead and get rolling and quit uh, sitting around doing nothing and talk about Ironman Canada. We're going to skip the new segment on this show uh, because I've been on the road a few days before Ironman Canada, on the road, Ironman Canada, and then flying from Vancouver. Uh, we did a whole bunch of stuff, which I'll talk about uh, after the race, and down in uh, around Whistler, and then in Vancouver, British Columbia, and then we hopped on a plane and flew through uh, Toronto, uh, through a red eye overnight, and then down to here at Ohio. Had somebody pick us up, and or we Ubered over here to northern Cincinnati um, uh, from the airport, and then uh, have been here at the race site for two, three days, and it has just been nonstop triathlon. Whew. Man, so I haven't had time to uh, collect any triathlon news. I've been dropping in on stuff on occasion and saw that Vine Man was this weekend and uh, just lots of cool stuff. So, oh man, let's get started with the uh, race. Um, While I did not have the run that I wanted up until the run, I was kicking some ass and I had such a great experience. I'm going to try to have you convinced by the end of this show to do Ironman Canada if it's, if you're thinking about maybe or you're curious by the end of this I want you to be like man I want to go do Whistler because it was that good it was just fantastic when I was having trouble on the run I was looking around going this has been one of the most amazing days of my life one of the most amazing weekends of my life and I do not regret any of it it is absolutely incredible so I'm going to try to to uh, transmit that feeling to you as well. So let's go ahead and hop over to my notes. I took uh, notes before and after the race. 
so that I would have a good show to pass on to everybody. Um, let's go ahead. I got a I got a segment here called the Prelude. Um, I was 11th out of the swim of uh, 2.4 mile swim, beautiful swim, and I uh, passed more people climbing and on the flats. Uh, but I sucked at descending. Absolutely sucked. <laughs> so, um, uh, so uh, Kona. I knew Kona was out of the out of the question. Um, just a few miles into the bike ride, and I'll tell you about that and how I knew it was a bit further into the show. Um, and of course, if you, I wanted to mention that if you uh, even if something didn't work out the way you wanted, if you learned something and then can use it, then your experience is still not a loss. And going into the race, you know, because Training Peaks measures all your fitness metrics and stuff, I've got, I got fitter than I ever have before in my entire life. And that's the real goal of triathlon is to be healthy and fit. And um, I do not regret that whatsoever. And I will always hold that in my back pocket of like, man, I was crazy, crazy fit uh, from doing that. And that's the real goal of all this stuff. So uh, one day of racing. It's just a reflection of, you know, that day, not um, months and months of, and your, and your life. So don't ever, if you have a bad race or whatever, don't, don't, uh, don't feel bad if you have a, you know, a bad race. You could have a flat tire, you get an injury or something like that. It's not really a reflection of your overall big picture. And, um, the fitness that I built going into the race was, uh, was something that uh, you, uh, triathlon is like a 10-year sport you know it's it's uh to get good to get really good at the long stuff so your fitness you build for one race if you take a little bit of break a little bit of a break and then build on it next time you got more base to build on and more and more and more so it's not a loss because the next race you'll uh, use it as well and let's see uh, uh some upsides are i absolutely this spring and summer got my new tri- my uh, hydration nailed down and that's a big upside and uh, I'm just still looking for the right calories to uh, that work the best for my digestion I had a little bit of trouble on the run with uh, fueling um, but yeah that was like seven hours in <laughs> eight hours in I started having trouble so uh, a lot of people uh, experience that so we're going to talk about that and uh, so that's that's a huge upside is that I finally figured out my hydration this summer uh, and how to do that a whole lot better and yeah, so let's go back to um, uh, showing up at the race. Uh, we rented a house with three other families um, really close to the race site. It's a house that would be a ski lodge in the winter. Um, there's, it's a huge mountain biking town in the summer, Whistler is. And um, the reason I was doing this race at all is a group of friends that live in College Station, Texas, uh, all joined up. They were all about similar age and they said, Hey, let's go do this race. And I said, okay, looking for something cooler than Texas. And that's why we're here at all. And so we all rented a house, four floors is what it ended up being. Um, and with four families going in on it, it actually ended up being maybe a hundred bucks a night or maybe 150 bucks a night. Uh, and we were there for almost a week and it was absolutely gorgeous being really close to the race site. We could, uh, a little bit of walking, Sometimes we drove. Uh, it was real steep everywhere, so sometimes it was better to um, to walk. And there's actually bears in the woods, which I'll talk more about. Um, the upside of having a whole bunch of people 
in one house is always somebody has something that you're looking for. Hey, uh, anybody have a zip tie? Anybody have any Gatorade? Anybody have any of this? Oh, I'm missing that. Anybody have an extra water bottle? There's always somebody that has that. Uh, and then there's always somebody that's cooking or making food. And so you're like, hey, I'm hungry. Uh, and people have gone into town and bought groceries. They're willing to share, which is super cool. Um, somebody's always making coffee. <laughs> so you, if you can, go with the group. Uh, those are the upsides. The downsides of a big group um, or more than just you is it's always noisy. And these are things that you can mitigate. Uh, you can, you, there's solutions to these problems. So I'm not saying that they're totally negative. Uh, so people are, can always be noisy. So you can bring headphones and, uh, or soundproof headphones. Um, food choices aren't entirely yours. And some food choices can be bad. You can be way more advanced in your nutrition or have different nutrition than, uh, or meal plans than other people. It may be somebody else's first Ironman and they're eating a whole bunch of greasy meat and broccoli the day before the race thinking that's the right thing to do and you don't want to eat that and that's what they're making for dinner and so you got to put your foot down and go no <laughs> I'm going to but there's things where you can ask ahead of time uh, what uh, uh, you know other people are eating to make sure you don't get stuck with something that's not going to work for you um, there can be people in your group that aren't prepared for the race and are kind of negative and uh, in sports psychology, negative talk is really, really bad, and it's contagious. Uh, you can be out on the race course, and because everybody else said that they're not going to try that hard, or somebody else said they're not going to try that hard, uh, when it gets hard out there for you, you might quit trying. And so when somebody starts talking negative in your group about not being able to, they didn't train enough, and they're just going to they're just gonna see if they can finish, and da 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 you know, just kind of bleh kind of stuff, walk away and put in your headphones and listen to some uh, pop music or something like that. And uh, don't get into an argument with them because they want an audience to be negative with them as well. And they don't want a solution, they want an audience. And uh, yeah, you just go away. And the, um, you're, I mean, you want to race and they've already given up. It says here in my notes. Uh, you're only as fast as the slowest person. Oh, the big group. Yeah, if uh, you're waiting on everybody, everybody, that's a, man, that's a pain. Everybody's going to go down to Ironman Village and get some stuff. Well, you're ready to go, and now you're waiting on the slowest person. And you may have somebody that's really slow. Usually I'm the slowest, so it's not that big of a problem in my world. But um, it's something to consider. And the other thing is, well, I guess that's about it. Uh, yeah, that's it. So uh, we flew in to Vancouver. Uh, from College Station, we flew over to Houston, and then from Houston, we flew up to Vancouver. Long flight. Um, one of my longer flights I've been on. I have I have uh, piriformis syndrome. You can look it up. Uh, my left butt cheek tightens up and hurts. It gets real sore if I sit too long. And so I had a little bit of that on the plane, but it was gone by race day. Um, so showing up in Canada... Let's see, I went to Spain for a training camp a couple years ago, and that was international. But Canada's international, but I mean, it's our next-door neighbor, so I didn't think it would be too much different. But I had a few surprises. Uh, if you're going to go do Ironman Canada and you're coming from the USA, uh, Pandora music is not available in Canada for some reason. Uh, maybe if you use Spotify or something like that, it is. And let's see, when you show up, 
I got a text message from AT&T immediately that said, hey, your, your international data rates are going to be this. And it was nightmarishly bad. Um, pay 40 bucks and you can uh, get much cheaper international data rates. So what you do is you agree to that and then you can go to your cellular settings and switch it to no cellular data. And then if you go way down, there's a counter at the bottom of, uh, this is on an iPhone, uh, there's a counter that you can reset. So reset it right then to zero and then it'll clock how much data you're using, how many megabytes. And at this time it was 200 megabytes for this $40 package. And I hit 20 megabytes in about five minutes before I turned on this thing. And then you can also go and turn off, if you do turn on cellular data, you can go turn off all these apps uh, so that they won't use data, even if you do turn on cellular data. So I went through this list, turned off all these apps, except for Google Maps. I left Google Maps on. And then for the drive from Vancouver to, um, to Whistler, which is about an hour and a half, two hour drive, um, I turned on cellular data and used Google Maps to uh, make sure we could get there and knew where we were and what the highway was doing. It was at night. We got there around midnight, and um, which the downside was uh, getting there at midnight was uh, it was so dark. We couldn't see this, this highway, and it's a phenomenally beautiful. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. I've seen some pretty stuff, man, and anything I've ever seen before in my life was about half as pretty as this. It was gorgeous. The... Um, because I saw it on the way back. That was the uh, that was the other thing. Is we drove up at night, so we couldn't see this, and we were told, "Oh man, this, that's going to suck because you need to see this." And then we realized we're going to be driving back during the day, so we'll see it on the way back in the day. And that was okay. That worked out just fine. There was a McDonald's in Squamish, which is almost to Whistler. It had a fireplace outside, and people are sitting around uh, in July around a fireplace at McDonald's. <laughs> That was interesting because we had to stop in there and get some, it was the only place that was open, grab some food. And it was a couple of days until the race, so I wasn't too worried about the quality of food there. And let's see, um, on the data and the internet, uh, most places have Wi-Fi, most restaurants and uh, diners and anything else. So uh, you want to catch up on your Instagram and your um, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook Go in the restaurant, ask what the Wi-Fi password is, if they have Wi-Fi, they usually do, and then enjoy your meal and catch up with stuff, and then turn the uh, turn it back off and head out and go live your life. Okay, so uh, next was two days before the race, I picked up my bike from Tri-Bike Transport. So this was really cool. They um, It's a service where they will take your bike to the race course. It takes about a week and a half, and um, while my bike was uh, you take your bike to a bike shop. And I did the numbers and it cost less than shipping my bike by plane and statistically much more uh, safe. And also because it's going on the ground, I put CO2 cartridges in there because you know if you're flying, you can't do that. Um, the, if, if you fly, there's a big chance, especially internationally. Uh, when we flew to Spain, my bike was, didn't show up until two days later and that was really stressful and um, I didn't want to worry about that so tri-bike transport was already there had the bike out on rack uh, lots and lots of bikes out there 
So big upside to that. Downside is they scratched up my fork and I bought like five or eight bucks worth of insurance. So we're gonna see, uh, they scratched it down to the carbon and we're gonna see uh, how that uh, pans out. I looked up uh, a Trek dealer here in Cincinnati and asked them how much to replace the fork. And it's only um, like 250 bucks to uh, get a new fork on the bike. And because it's down to the carbon, um, it looks like it might crack at some point. So I was worried it was going to be like a thousand bucks or something like that. And uh, in future shows, we'll detail that. Uh, Tri Bike Transport seems to be a good company, so we'll work. We'll work with them and see what happens. Um, I would totally use them again. <laughs> it, it was super, super cool. And then after the race, um, you give them your bike, and then your bike shows up back in uh, your hometown. So it's pretty neat. Um, while my bike was on Tri Bike Transport for a week and a half, because they load an 18-wheeler and it drives across the country to get there. Uh, my old tri bike, my BMC, I put some uh, training wheels on it and rode that on the trainer. And that way I was able to still get in a few bike workouts. So it all worked out. Um, the day before the race, maybe, or it was maybe two days before the race. Anyway, uh, a show fan, Chris, uh, he lives nearby, uh, somewhere around Vancouver. And he looked me up. Oh, and Houston Marsh was also, uh, I saw him the day of the race. Uh, what's up, dude? Uh, but Chris uh, took us on a drive to go check out the course. So we all loaded up in the um, in a Tahoe, and me and three of the other guys, two, three of the other guys. I think there was four or five of us total, and uh, we went and drove the course. And <laughs> that was my first dose of holy shit! This is steep. <laughs> It's like uh, all of us from Texas, uh, we live rolling prairie, right? So we have no long climbs, nothing really steep. I think our steepest grade in our area is maybe like 4%. So this course is full of 10% grade downhills, uphills, all kinds of stuff. Now the uphills, I'm not worried about. And gentle downhills, I'm not worried about. But the super steep downhills are something that I just don't have very much practice with. So I was like, oh my gosh. But I also figured, you know, whatever. But at some of these, at the bottoms of some of these downhills, there was uh, railroad tracks. Um, uh, yeah, occasionally cracked in the pavement kind of here and there. In general, the pavement was fantastic. Except for we're driving the course and there's a mile where it was still under construction and they were still paving it. So that didn't uh, look all that great. And so it gave us uh, some concern. But the upside was somebody, I don't know if it was Chris or somebody else that said, uh, before we even looked out at the course, who said, uh, hey, don't worry about the course so much. While it is um, super hilly, it's not technical. Every big downhill has a, a gentle or a big uphill after it. There's no, there was only one big downhill that had a hard, hard turn. Um, and there was going to, well, there's two that had that, but, um, there'll be race crew out there to warn you way ahead of time. And just, so just don't worry about it. It's cool. It's not a technical course. It's, uh, just steep in places. And also I'd been doing tons of training on the, on the trainer, uh, doing long climbs on the bike. And so I was like, ah, oh, this doesn't, doesn't look, doesn't look terrible. It is one of the hardest, um, bike courses in Ironman for sure. I think it's like number three 
three hardest. Lanzarote is harder, and maybe Paris, or not Paris, uh, Nice, France, is harder. But this was uh, six to something, maybe seven, I don't think seven, but a thousand feet of climbing over the bike ride. And yeah, so the, the bike preview was pretty cool. And the only problem is if you're not familiar with where the potholes and cracks are and you're doing 50 miles per hour downhill, um, your bike can break <laughs> from a hit, especially it's been, it's been on a 18 wheeler. So something's come loose like your stem and, uh, there's somebody using an impact wrench or something over there. And, um, your handlebars come off your bike while you're doing 50 miles an hour. And that, that's the kind of stuff that goes through my mind. But let's go ahead and uh, go to the uh, pre-swim. We, we uh, went over to the mountain lake. I think it's called Alta Lake. Uh, so you can go look it up. And went for a swim. The water was pretty, pretty cold, a little numbing at first. But then after a few minutes, after a minute, it felt fine. Uh, ended up being about 64 degrees. And so we swam around, and that was really smart. If you go do Whistler, I definitely recommend the day or days before the race. Go swim so you get used to the lake and realize it's actually not that bad. And um, it's a two-loop course right now. And the uh, and I guess if you do the half Ironman, if they continue to do it the same day, it'd just be one loop. And it was really enjoyable. Like, I had a really good time in the swim. And doing the pre-swim, uh, even though I only swam for about 15 minutes, was... Uh, really, really nice because on race day, I, uh, I already knew what the water was going to feel like and um, no nerves for the swim on race day because I'd already swam the day before. Water's uh, pretty clear. Um, yeah, so uh, really mellow lake with just beautiful mountains all the way around. Uh, by the way, I took a lot of pictures of stuff on Instagram. So uh, Zen Triathlon on Instagram, you can go check it out and see what that looks like. And let's see... Then just hanging around Whistler um, the days before the race. So Whistler and Vancouver were the um, was an Olympic host city. I forgot which year, but relatively recently. So there's a lot of Olympic stuff around. It's uh, a lot of nice stuff that you can tell has been really well taken care of. And in the summer, it's it's one in the winter. It's one of the most extreme uh, snow sports towns on earth, and. Uh, during the summer, uh, they use all that to get mountain bikes and such around. And so in the summer, it is one of the most insane mountain biking towns I've ever seen in my entire life. And like extreme mountain biking to the point of where there was a Red Bull downhill mountain biking course that was all set up for people to uh, ride if you want to. And Kai was at Boy Scout camp while we were in uh, Whistler doing this race. And I was really sad that he couldn't come with us because he would have loved it of course he would have been bothering us constantly to go daddy daddy can i go ride this can i go ride that i want a mountain bike <laughs> probably would have broken his neck because it was steep but um it took three chairlifts to get to the top of the mountain like three to to get up and then you could mountain bike down that and then there's bears around and all kinds of stuff so uh lots of people walking around looking like mad max in full armor plated uh, mountain bike gear and full face helmets and, and little kids. There was a kid like on a on a 16 inch wheel bike that had disc brakes. He had one gear, but he had disc brakes and body armor. He looked like he was about three or four years old and uh, full face helmet and goggles. <laughs> and then that one kid would go by and then there'd be a whole school of kids exactly the same looking like that. So uh, for family vacation in the summer, if you can get up to Whistler, 
oh my gosh, it is just endless, the amount of stuff. It's not just mountain biking, but just tons and tons of stuff. Uh, Emily went um, zip lining, uh, whitewater rafting while we were getting uh, our bikes ready, me and the crew. And also, um, we were reminded that there's a 70.3 going on at the same time. So it looked like there was about 1,500 people in the uh, full Ironman and about 500 doing the 70.3. And they never uh, got in the way. I mean, they ran the same course pretty much as we did. And it was enjoyable seeing people out there doing a 70.3. And I distinctly remembered wanting to talk about it and say, hey, if you want to go do Whistler, Whistler... Ironman Canada is a very is a very tough Ironman because of the vertical ascending. It's not high altitude really, um, but just all the climbing and descending. Um, so maybe if you want to try it first as a half, uh, definitely highly recommend it. Uh, it looked like it was a blast for the people doing the half, and also um, the days before the race. Down in Ironman Village, Whistler Village, um, you're looking for a consistent place to eat. Of course, there's some subways in town, but there was a restaurant called The Brew House that looked, we only ate there once, but it looked like a really consistent place to eat um, with real food and real meals and stuff. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the night before the race. Uh, well, the afternoon before the race, I shaved my legs with clippers. And I also had a uh, digital uh, kitchen scale uh, to weigh out my fuel. And I was mixing my fuel on that and making bottles and such. And a um, typical Ironman fashion, you know, where things start going wrong as soon as possible. <laughs> the battery on the scale started going out. And I was like, what? Oh, yeah, this thing takes a battery. And I was like, this, here it begins, you know, uh, emergency mode. What do we do if, if, uh, when things start going wrong? Um, so, I'll get to what I was mixing for fuel later, but um, in my suitcase, I've been drinking, uh, uh, I brought with me uh, beet juice, cans of beet juice, and I've been drinking it all week, and the uh, one of the cans of beet juice that I bought at the grocery store uh, got a hole punched in it, uh, I guess towards the end of the trip, and I had about three cans of beet juice left because I've been drinking it all week, just kind of preloading on it. And it uh, leaked out uh, beet juice into my suitcase. And beet juice is blood red and it stains everything. Uh, I was really lucky that it um, didn't uh, leak too far. Uh, for whatever reason, the, where the hole got punched, it was leaned up against a dark t-shirt. And that absorbed the uh, flow for a little while. So I ended up getting beet juice all over my bike helmet, and I posted a picture of that on Twitter. So it looked like I'd been in a terrible crash and just blood everywhere all over this helmet. And then um, it also got all over my clippers that I used to shave my legs. So it looked like I gouged my crotch with uh, clippers and got blood all over myself. So I posted a picture of that on, on Twitter. So that was pretty funny. And let's see. So the fuel, uh, I did... 200 calories per hour of UCAN and 100 calories per hour of, uh, well, I don't remember what the other stuff is. Oh, hammer gel, uh, which I bought a big bottle of. And that was, uh, I did two hour bottles of that. So I guess 600 calories each um, per bottle. And I started off the race with two on my bike, and then I was going to put one in special needs. And that fuel worked pretty good for a uh, long time, actually. 
until it didn't. And I went into this race still not 100% confident in uh, a fueling uh, plan. But I knew if I underfueled a little bit, I'd be better off than overfueling, which was true. Um, that's always a good strategy. <laughs> you don't want to overfuel and then be puking all over the place. So I um, mixed all that up the night before. And also on the run, I made two bottles of about half that potency um, run bottles that I clipped to my belt. And I was going to put one of them. One of them's in my uh, T2 bag, and then the other one is uh, in the run special needs, and one of the bike bottles in bike special needs. And let's see, I uh, got up in the morning and I ate 600 calories of chocolate chip cookies from the store, and it was awesome. It was really, when you look at the ingredients, it's high in fat, high in carbs, high in everything, tastes good, high calorie, easy to digest. Uh, went down super, super quickly. I was able to get in six, maybe 700 calories, like no problem at like 3.30 a.m. <laughs> and um, by, I think we agreed the day before to, um, those of you from Southern Ohio, there's this bird that landed on a, on a plant next to me over here, a tall weed that's yellow, bright yellow with a little tiny black dot on its head and a black tail. Anybody knows what that is? Let me know. That's a beautiful bird. And the, um, I think we agreed the day before to leave by 445. So it's 445. And one of, one of the guys in the group has just gotten up, is still in his pajamas and is starting to make oatmeal. <laughs> and I was like, um, Emily, can you take me down to the race site? Because this is making me nervous. I, I don't want to be waiting on somebody. And uh, that's still getting it together. And he made it uh, totally on time for the race, just fine. Um, but um, I get nervous. It's, it's a personal thing um, because I've had flats in the transition area. You show up to your bike and it's got a flat tire. You've forgotten something. You know, it's kind of a mess. And uh, you got no time to fix anything if you show up right on time. So I wanted to be a little bit early just in case. And I was ready to go. So Emily drove me down and dropped me off at... T2. T2 is in the Ironman Village, Whistler Village. And then from T2, they load you up on a bus. Well, you put all your bike stuff there. And that's where I saw Houston Marsh is his name. And uh, we talked for a little bit. And uh, if you're a little bit early, you have time to talk to people too, which is kind of nice. And we, um, I put my stuff in my, any extra stuff in my bike transition bag uh, because we're going to show up. No, it's my run transition bag. T2 is bike to run. So I put a, my run bottles, my run bottle in my uh, run bag, and then put my other run bottle in my uh, run special needs bag, which I had a little area to go do that, and then hopped on the shuttle, talked to Houston Marsh, and then hopped on a shuttle, and the shuttle took us, it's a little bit of a drive, it's, man, it might have taken 20 minutes, 30 minutes, by shuttle, by bus, to uh, T1, uh, the swim, the, the lake and the bike area. And while I was on the, on that, I ended up sitting next to a guy named Victor, who was, uh, a guy from Mexico city. He's a Mexican guy from Mexico city. And we talked a lot about what it's like training in Mexico. And then he said, I don't know which Iron Man this was like third or fourth one, but he said, um, he was doing Iron Man's. This is really cool too, by the way, he was doing Iron Man's. He and his wife had talked. 
Uh, and he was doing Ironmans in different locations around the world because you do, in 10 years, you can see pretty much all the world, all the corners of the world. And, uh, and you can you have a reason to go do these things. And I was like, man, that's really cool. And I told that to Emily later. She thought that was really neat um, to go travel. It gives you an excuse to travel and go do races. And uh, uh, so, hey, Victor, we had a nice chat. It was really cool. And then I got to uh, T1. And as soon as I walk up, there was a bathroom to the right. So I go, hmm you know what, I kind of need to do a number deuce. And so I'm going to go poop in that bathroom. And it's the nicer bathrooms and there was no line. So I walk in. I did have to wait for a minute. And then I go in, do my business. I get out, wash my hands, turn to the right, start to walk out the door. And waiting by the door is a guy that looks a lot like Andy Potts. <laughs> and I turn and look at him. And then I look again. And I'm like, I think that's Andy Potts. And then I point at him and I go, are you, are you... Andy? Andy, is that you? And he nodded at me like the secretive nod, like, yes, I am. I'm Andy. <laughs> I'm Batman. And I go, hey, man, nice to meet you, dude. And I shook his hand right after going to the bathroom, which I apologize for. I apologize for that publicly on the internet, by the way. Um, and then, uh, but I had washed my hands, so it's pretty cool. And, um, and he might have been wearing gloves. So uh, the, um, it was cool, man. And I had that little moment of like, even Andy Potts takes dump. <laughs> just like me, but, uh, wished him luck. And, uh, so that's, that's the big upside of triathlon is you're out there with the pros, you know, the people that win this thing are doing the race course the same day you are just a few minutes earlier, five minutes earlier. And, uh, so that was a nice upside. And also, uh, when I got to my bike and I'd known this from the day days before I racked my bike, um, I'm a uh, all-world, what they call an all-world athlete, and it's it's a combination of like, it's a little bit of how fast you go, and a little bit of how many races, Ironman races that you've done, or WTC brand races, and that adds up points. And then if you get enough points, um, then you get some preferential treatment. It's kind of like being a frequent flyer, and um, they have bronze, silver, and gold, and I've been silver before. Uh, but I think this year I'm a bronze. But anyways, all world athletes get their one uh, for anything that you have to check in for. They have a separate table for all world athlete, and you can go to the front, which was nice when I did my packet pickup. And then um, instead of waiting in the long line, and then for bike racking in transition areas, you get um, and for run too, you get. Uh, a much better position than other people and my bike ended up being uh within i could reach my arm out and touch the arm of uh, andy and these other pros that were uh, right next to me so that was really cool to be have a really good bike position and that's my advertisement for ironman all-world athlete you want to um get up there towards the front and uh if, if you can, it's it's, an, it's a reason why to do Ironman races is uh, try to get that all-world thing. And honestly, you don't have to be that fast. You um, Like I said, you can just do more races and uh, get those points. Uh, so that's nice. I think two of the other guys that are there with me also happen to be all-world athletes as well. And uh, let's see. I brought my own pump. And, man, there's a it's awesome to bring your own pump. But the annoying thing is people keep asking you for your pump. So I'm going to do a campaign right here on this episode and say, people, 
if you know that you're going to need a pump on race morning, bring your own pump. <laughs> it is, it is, uh, you think it doesn't bother the person that's already brought their pump and it doesn't for one person to ask, but you're not the only person you and the next guy and the next guy and the next girl and the next girl just keep asking for the pump. And then you have that person that was thoughtful enough and went out of their way to bring a pump now standing there waiting for other people to get done with his pump so that he can go on and check in the rest of his gear or check on the rest of his gear. So, and I understand if, uh, if you forgot or something like that, but you know, if you're going to air up your tires in the morning, bring your own pump. I brought my pump all the way from Texas in a suitcase all the way to the race site and, uh, managed to get it into one of the transition bags after the race, uh, and back into my suitcase. So you can too. It's possible. You can do it. Okay, that was my plea for sanity there. Um, Let's see. And then we started lining up for the swim, which was a lot of fun. Uh, The scenery is these mountains all the way around the, uh, the lake with snow on most of them. And just calm, cool, uh, smooth water. And uh, they do the rolling start at this race. The pros left, you know, in a wave. And then five minutes later, they do the uh, rolling start. And you just walk across a uh, start line. And the timer chip goes off. Then you have to wade out because it's a dry land start. Um, you kind of try to run. But it's sandy beach, but there's stones that aren't entirely sharp, but they're not smooth either. Uh, one every foot or so, kind of embedded in the sand. So you really can't run. You might cut up your feet. So it's kind of like a, a difficult waddle out till it's about waist deep, and then you start swimming. And um, again, it's a two-lap swim for the full Ironman. So dove in, and oh, I got in the group. They have the they have the signs up that are like uh, one hour swim, sub one hour, uh, one hour uh, to 10 minutes, uh, one hour 10 to 120, right? So you kind of get an idea of where to be. And you just uh, jump in, or you get in that group, and but it's a continuous line as you kind of feed into the lake. And the time starts when your timing chip crosses the timing mat on at the edge of the water. And uh, yeah, so walked in and waddled in and kind of tried to jog a little bit. No, no big rush. Got all day. And then uh, did a couple duck dives. And then next thing I knew, I was swimming. And um, I really worked on my swim this year because I broke my arm and I can't straighten out my arm still. And I lost most of the strength in my arm uh, due to this uh, really, really bad injury that was a big mess and I was not ever sure I was ever going to be able to swim right ever again. So I did a lot of work on my swimming and it ended up paying off big time because, uh, by the end of the swim, I got out, I looked at my watch, I looked at my watch by the end of lap one and I had done, uh, 29 minutes and I was like, and I wasn't swimming all that hard. And I was like, huh, well that's pretty good. So if I just keep this up, I'll be uh, maybe sub hour um, because 29 and 29 is uh, 58 and but then you kind of slow down maybe a little bit towards the end because you start uh, getting tired so I was like well maybe 59 <laughs> but don't think about it too much and just swim and my uh, uh, there was a section where looking into the was a little bit looking in the sun but I, I had bought new goggles and they were clear and I was fine 
And uh, the swim is actually really cool because uh, two laps breaks up the swim, so it never felt like too long. It was actually really nice. And in swim training, I had done a combination of intervals, like 10 minutes hard, five minutes easy, you know, eight minutes hard, three minutes easy. And also I'd done the um, drag shoot. And a drag shoot is really cheap and it really focuses uh, resistance into your arms and keeping your legs up. And I had done lots of that this spring to get my swimming up and then mixed in every once in a while, like once every week or two, a long continuous swim to kind of see how things were going. And I'd also gone to the gym and tried doing weights with my left arm. And um, my arm was, I remember it was something like one sixth as strong as my right arm due to that, that injury, the capsule that my uh, left elbow is in was just busted clean open and um, was healing all terribly weird. And it, that's just what it does. In the emergency room, they said, you're probably never going to be able to straighten out your arm again. In fact, we pretty much promise it. And I'm missing 10 to 15 degrees of extension in my left arm. And the uh, orthopedic surgeon uh, that I was going to, to check on me and x-ray me and therapy me, uh, was like, hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> And I was like, no, that's not good. <laughs> He's like, well, that's what you're going to get. And I was like, ah, oh, crap, this sucks. So anyway, um, when I came out of the swim and I was at 59 minutes and I got completely out of the water by, uh, yeah, like 59.20 or 59.40, I don't know what it was exactly. Um, I was just blown away. I was like, man, this is great. Because um, I... There was, I was holding back during the swim because there was a couple times where I was like, man, I could go harder. And I was like, nah, I just cruise. And um, another thing, a technical tip, is I wore a DeSoto sleeveless. And I hardly saw any people in sleeveless uh, wetsuits. Um, and I'm actually a lot faster, and you might be too, in a sleeveless wetsuit instead of a sleeved wetsuit. I know they say they're faster, but man, it just restricts arm movement. And every time I do a sleeved wetsuit swim, I do like a 103, then I'm like a 106, 105. And then I do a sleeveless and I do a 59, like almost every time. And I did a 59, Ironman Texas in 2014, I think. And in the half Ironmans, I use a sleeveless and I do a 29, uh, maybe a 28. And uh, so just a little plug there for sleeveless wetsuits and even though the water was 64 degrees it felt fine it was totally fine so your arms are moving pretty hard and uh it actually kind of keeps you cool instead of heating you up and uh, you might find it uh way way better let's see if i have any uh any more notes on the swim before we hop in and give a shout out oh the other thing i did in swim training to because honestly, if I didn't do all this stuff in the in the pool to work on my arm, I probably would have swam an hour and a half. Um, my arm is jacked up. So the other thing I did was to make sure I could get in all the swimming I needed to fix to help work on my arm was I switched where I was swimming because I was swimming at a place before where I could swim during the week in the mornings, but swimming on the weekends was really difficult and swimming on the evenings was really difficult. So the new place that I swam was an indoor pool at a, at a gym that had really good hours. The only time you can't swim is pretty much Sunday morning. And so I was able to get in continuous uh, every other day swims. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, 
Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, like without fail because I was able to swim in the evening and I was able to swim on the weekends and I was able to swim. It's an indoor pool, so I could swim in the middle of the day. And um, I think that was probably my most consistent thing was just swimming every other day for an hour. And um, because I was able to swim at night and in the middle of the day on the weekends and be out of the sun and uh, swimming also helps recuperate your legs. So that was uh, that was the other thing that I wanted to mention. And uh, let's take let's take a moment and give a shout out to Living Fuel. So uh, one of my favorite things about Living Fuel is the green uh, powder mix that's like got veggies and, and chia seeds and I think it's got some of the, uh, some of the super algae stuff in it. All right, I'm across the lake now. I had to move location. Somebody kicked on a generator. <laughs> and also the announcer started getting really loud. And it got hot. So I'm out of the sun in the shade uh, near a different part of the lake. We'll still hear some announcers and some people going by on occasion. But, uh, yeah, this is real deal. Right here on the race course uh, here in Ohio. But I can tell you I cannot wait to get back and get to my pantry my house because I've already eaten it all, all my stuff I had for the road uh, of my living fuel stuff. I have uh, a whole bunch of the green smoothie mix at home and the uh, bars and the um, cocoa chia uh, packets of stuff and uh, the protein, the vanilla uh, protein mix that they make. That All those are my absolute favorite. It's made by Living Fuel and um, the coolest thing is I go to work and I have a canister of the greens um, right next to my desk. And so if I get hungry and I'm like, oh man, I need something healthy to snack on, I almost always have a water bottle. There goes a gas-powered golf cart. I almost always have a uh, water bottle, you know, like a bike water bottle with me. And um, I'll do a scoop or two of the Living Fuel uh, green uh, mix in there. And it's got like chia seeds and uh, uh, the the uh, algae stuff. That's uh, the greens, the super greens in there that um, are just so good for you. Absolutely, really, really good, and um, super convenient. And I'll throw some of that into a bike bottle and shake it up with some water and some ice, and then have a nice healthy snack. And the um, the other crazy thing is, well, they have these um, they have these bars that are made out of um, coconut meal. And it's, it's like, it's incredible, like how good they are. I love coconut stuff, by the way. And then, uh, they also have, um, and I've run on them and they, uh, they taste pretty good that way. And also, am I on some kind of golf cart freeway? What the hell is going on around here? And the, uh, the, uh, they have these packets of coconut, um, and chia seed powder kind of stuff that you just eat right out of the packet. And uh, when I get some of those, they're gone in like three days. <laughs> and then also after a workout, the protein powder is uh, vanilla flavored. And it's, it's like super, super healthy. So they, uh, they have this cool thing they wanted me to let you know about where um, you can order it and get free UPS shipping for Zentri customers. If you just tell them that you uh, use Zentri, if they're a Zentri member, uh, which means you listen to this podcast. And... The uh, phone number is one eight six six five eight zero 
Fuel, F-U-E-L. So let me give it to you again. 1-866-580-FUEL. And just tell them that uh, you're a friend of Zentri. You're in the Zentri tribe. And uh, they will get you uh, free shipping via UPS anywhere in the U.S. So that is super cool. And I'd like to give a big shout out to Living Fuel. Livingfuel.com. Just go to their website and check out all the different stuff in their story. It's a really cool story. And... Uh, Believe me when I say I cannot wait to get back to my house (laughs) and dive into my stash. You you can only bring so much stuff with you on the road, and it is all gone. It was probably all gone by day three, and I've been gone over a week. So, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, let's get back to the the race and the bike. So I I come out of the water. I go into T1. There's another golf cart. By the way, I'm sitting, and there's at the edge of the water and there's cattails all around me and there's a dad that's with us that didn't know what cattails were and he goes man there's these weird things down at the lake like hot dogs on a stick they look really weird (laughs) and actually cattails are edible you actually can't eat them um but that was kind of funny anyway uh so i hop on the well i'm in the transition tent and the guy next to me here comes another golf cart the guy next to me says um man we did a sub hour swim that is awesome and I was like, yeah, we did. That is really awesome, man. And um, sub-hour is uh, fantastic. That's a fantastic swim time. And the fact that I did that and overcame, uh, my, my arm is still completely messed up. It'll never straighten out ever again. But uh, to still swim as fast as I ever did in spite of that um, is a real victory in my book. Um, it's just absolutely bizarre and crazy and uh, a real testament that sometimes you know you can have something happen to you and still um, overcome it and be just as good as you were before if not better and uh, sometimes it takes that that challenge of that problem to get you to focus on something if it wasn't for my arm being all jacked up I would not have swam four times a week I would have only swam three I would not have changed my swimming location I would not have focused my attention on fixing my uh, swim uh, to the point of what I did. Now, I probably would have swam another 103, just like always, but uh, but this time I swam a 59 because of my busted up arm. So, uh, when something bad happens to you, don't always assume that it's going to be terrible. And, let's see, it's always what you make out of it, right? So, let's go back to the uh, notes. Got my long list of notes here. Um, headed out on the, got on the bike, and it's an uphill It's not terrible, but um, it's an uphill bike start. Uh, Nothing nothing too terrible as far as jogging anywhere or getting anywhere before you get on your bike. Not fantastic, but not terrible. And hop on my bike, and I start cruising along, and I feel fantastic. And um, for the first four or five miles... It's generally uh, a little gradual uphill, a little climb, a little flat, a little climb, a little flat, a little climb, a little flat. And then at about four or five miles in, there's a big drop-off, your first ever uh, descent. And you're still on a a narrow two-lane country road with trees. It's kind of like a lakefront road, so there's little driveways sticking out, there's crowds. it is not what I would call, it's not unsafe, but it's also not terribly safe. It's just this, you know, quiet little road. There goes a duck. Go duck, go. And the, uh, so it's got this descent with a hardish turn at the bottom uh, that goes up and around. 
and I'm going down this descent, and it's pretty steep, so I got my hands on the, uh, I got my hands out by the brakes, but not on the brakes, and I'm probably doing about 30, uh, maybe 35 miles an hour, and uh, having fun, enjoying my life, and this guy blows by me like I was freaking standing still, just right by me, <laughs> and I thought, what the hell? And he goes screaming down this hill way faster than I thought I would ever do. And then um, because he had so much speed going downhill, at the bottom of the hill, it climbs back up again. And because he had so much momentum, he went up and over and, and it turns and into the trees and was gone. So this guy went from behind me to disappearing over the horizon in front of me in about 30 seconds. So in about 30 seconds, a competitor had gained a quarter of a mile on me, right? Or more, maybe. And I thought, oh, shit. Because <laughs> I can do that with practice. There was times, um, I haven't done it in a while, but there's a hill uh, near Emily's old place uh, where she grew up where I got up 50 miles an hour um, over and over and over and over and over again on a descent and where I had to pedal to do it too. And so I can do 50 miles an hour downhill and I was only doing like 35 right there, but it takes practice and I have to be doing it a while. And um, I have not been practicing. I have not been doing it a while. And these are on roads that I've never been on in my entire life, except for one time in a car. Um, and I immediately knew I cannot do what that guy just did. And I will not be able to do what that guy just did without some practice and like riding the course. And um, there's a, I'm a foreigner, so there's lots of guys and girls in this area that can do what they just did. And I cannot. And therefore, I am not going <laughs> to be competitive in this race. They are, and it's free speed that takes no energy. And, um, and I thought, that's it. Like, uh, I, I was in 11th place coming out of the swim. I found out later and, uh, and I was holding back on the swim. So I maybe could have moved up some spots in the bike, you know, to fifth or sixth, uh, especially cause I've been working on the bike so much and I just knew, okay, so this race, I'm just going to try to do the best I can and enjoy the day because there is no Kona happening with what these guys can do and what I can't. And, uh, and that was, uh, five miles in the bike, right? <laughs> so we're like an hour, hour and 15 minutes in an hour and a half. And I was like, well, so different kind of race entirely right now. And, uh, but it's so beautiful that I was just kind of like, well, let's just enjoy it and see how good you can do. And, um, it was a little bit chilly overnight and into the morning. So I had brought with me, I looked at the forecast. There's an awesome forecasting tool, a website called Ventu Sky, V-E-N-T-U Sky, VentuSky.com. And it's beautiful. And it shows the direction of wind and temperature, like all this different stuff. You got to go check it out. And I was using that to, uh, as my weather forecasting tool. So I knew it was going to be kind of cold, especially coming from Texas where it's super hot. And, um, I, uh, went and to that and knew that race morning is gonna be like 50 degrees or something like that so i knew coming out of that cold water and starting the bike that I was probably gonna be a little bit cold so when i started the bike i threw over my uh, tri kit i threw over a super tight um under armor long sleeve and then 
Also put on some uh, long, long-fingered gloves. Um, they were pretty arrow, pretty tight-fitting. And I rode that because it was mostly, f- mostly, uh, it was like net downhill for the first 15 miles, so almost the first hour. Um, and I knew that would be really nice coming out of that cold water and cold morning. And uh, then a big climb, right? So I'm paddling along, da 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 take a right-hand turn, and it, cli- it starts climbing up the first major, major climb up to this uh, ski resort. No, uh, ski jumps. You know those downhill ski jumps where they go flying through the air, look like they're trying to kill themselves? Um, the climb goes up to that, and it's about a 40, 45-minute climb. And you know when you're climbing, you're going slower and you're building up a lot of heat. So I knew I was going to get hot. So right at the base of the climb, I pulled over my bike and it took like 20 seconds or so, maybe 30 seconds. I popped off my helmet, took off the um, took off the long sleeve top, stuck it in the back of my jersey up near between my shoulder blades. Ended up being a perfect place for it. I, f- I thought maybe I lost it later because it went so smooth and flat against my back, but it was there. And then... Um, uh, Gloves. I put, I jammed them into my cycling shorts over the tops of my legs, and then uh, um, snapped my helmet back on and started pedaling up again. Uh, the time and place to do that kind of stuff is when you're going uphill, uh, because you're already going super slow anyway, and the little brake is nice, um, so you might as well use it. So time-wise and energy-wise, uh, like the. The opposite would be like on a downhill, pulling over to do all that stuff, right? Because you've already got all that speed and the momentum, and that's uh, a dumb place to uh, to stop. So let's uh, let's do it at the beginning of uphill. So then I started this climb uphill, and I had used best bike split. Uh, Gary clued me into that, and it said that when I'm climbing steep stuff, I should keep it around 270 to 280 watts based on my FTP of. Um, about 310 and also uh, for an Ironman 70% on the bike 70% of your FTP average is uh, wise and so my FTP is about 310 and I did uh, so it said I should target 220 watts about for my race my entire race and what I did is every once in a while I had I had overall average uh, watts uh, going on my bike computer. Oh my gosh, my bike computer. I got to tell you about that. And then I also had, um, what was the other thing? Uh, a lap average Watts. And that's a, uh, a really cool thing to have because, um, the bike ride, you know, it took almost six hours to do this entire bike ride. And you could really, towards the end of the bike ride, you could really, uh, be hammering and it'll, you won't even notice it on your average watts because you've got five hours of cumulative watts going there. Um, so what you do is you do lap watts as well and and do normalized power. That's where it kind of takes into account surging and climbing and stuff like that. So watts NP, normalized power, is actually what I used. Um, it's smarter. And the um, uh, so anytime, any segment of the race course that was kind of like an obvious segment, like the flat section of the race later on in the race is a segment, you know, a big climb is a segment, um, a downhill is a segment, uh, you know, or you want to break it up by hours or half hours. Those are segments. And then you look at your Watts for those and make sure you don't do anything too out of control. So, um, I've been averaging about 220. Yeah. 
up until then. And then I knew on the climb, I didn't want to go too much over um, any time uh, over 270, 280. So I hit the lap button before the climb, and I made sure during the climb I didn't. Yeah, but the climb actually had some uh, a, a few little flats and downhills in it. So on the climb, I think I averaged around like 260. Um, but anyway, that's how you use the lap and the uh, the normalized power and power and stuff like that. Uh, so what was crazy though is I started on the climb uphill and I got maybe um, a mile or so into it. I got a little ways into it. And on one of the sections that's 10% uh, grade downhill, I'm going up and then I hear this sound coming over the horizon. And I look up and honestly, from like a hundred yards away, you can hear the tires. Maybe, maybe farther, maybe twice that. You can hear the tires of a bike coming downhill because there's so much friction because he's going so fast. Um, it's just tearing up the pavement, tearing up the tires, like that. And I look up and it's a dude on a green bike and it's obviously Andy Potts and he's already completed the climb and coming back down. And I think he did the swim in like 45 minutes or something. But the uh, screaming downhill in the arrow position <laughs> and pedaling on like 10 or 12% grade downhill. And I was like, holy crap, that is awesome. And it goes just motoring by, like that, down. And then after him was another guy and then another guy. I think third or fourth place was... Um, I forgot his first. I keep thinking it's Jason Durr, but I knew it's Jason Durr growing up, and it's not the same guy. But anyway, there's a pro triathlete that um, is from College Station originally. It's really cool. Um, was in the mix as well. So these guys come screaming down the hill, uh, and it was a real good indicator of what you could do. It was really motivational. It's like this is what's possible out there. <laughs> um, had an ant on my hand, and not. Um, you don't have to be so freaking slow going downhill. It's just a, it's a nerves thing. And um, anyway, so that was cool. That was super, super cool. And on the, on the climb on the way up, the rest of the way up, every once in a while another you know, pro would go by. Uh, female. Oh, this, this was one of those races where they did um, the male pros at this race. And the same weekend they did female pros that Heather Jackson won, I believe, at um, Ironman Lake Placid. So they're splitting up the field. Um, that's a long story in itself on what they're doing to the pros with that. But um, yeah, that's a that's a a uh, personnel uh, dis- business <laughs> business decision business decision um, that WTC is doing for now. We'll see what ends up with that. So I I turned around at the top of this climb and then started bombing downhill, and I found you know people are passing me because I'm that chicken shit dude that's. Uh, that should be going way faster than I am. I was still hauling ass. I hit 40-something miles an hour on the downhill at uh, one point, but not the 50 that I could have or should have been doing. That was so, it was so much fun, though, going bombing down those hills. And, again, it wasn't technically difficult. It's just a familiarity thing. And at one point I was screaming past all these people, and I was like, woo because <laughs> it was so cool. And, yeah, uh, just overall it was pretty cool. Um, we... Uh, at one point, we had to uh, cross over the highway as it's rolling up and down and up and down. And my uh, there's a rumple strip, a zip strip, uh, whatever you want to call it, in the middle of the highway, I guess to keep you from crossing over and hitting oncoming traffic. And, of course, when you go over it on your bike, it vibrates your bike. 
and I it was so bad. I hit it so hard and unexpectedly, there it shook my bike computer mount off the front of my bike. And I've got this one made by Zip that actually was recalled um, uh, because it'll do that. And mine had never done that before, and so I never sent it in for the recall. Uh, but I was like, oh yeah, there's a recall on this. As my bike computer flew off the front of my bike, up into the air, hit me in the face, and then, um, but I've got the little leash on the Garmin 510, and this is why they make the leash, so that if it does fall off, um, it won't fall completely off your bike, because I've had that happen before, and lost a bike computer. Um, so I've got the leash attached to the, uh, the handlebars, so it fell off and then swung, hit me in the face, swung off to the side, and then slammed into the front of my bike. <laughs> up by the uh, headset and uh, I was like damn it and then I thought well maybe I'll just put it in my back of my pocket and I'll need it and I'll, I'll read it when I need it and I got my Garmin uh, 920 watch on and um, but it turned out I was like man just a f- it's 30 seconds later I'm like man I need my bike computer with all my uh, my normalized power and watts and time and speeds and distances and stuff like that because um, Man is a calculation it's chess against your body and so um, you can't just go by feel. You do a lot better if you go by numbers because it's so long. And uh, oh, and heart rate. I needed my heart rate and all this stuff. And uh, I was like, damn it. So I kept, I spent probably an hour or more, maybe, no, like two hours or more, uh, jamming my bike computer back into the mount, trying to get it to stick. And it just wouldn't. And it would keep, anytime I hit a bump, it would vibrate out. And so I was getting pretty miserable with that. That was annoying as hell. Um, but eventually I got it to, to stay, I don't know, by um, halfway, maybe uh, two-thirds through the bike ride. And <laughs> also, um, because of all the hydration work that I'd been doing, um, I'd heard and, and knew that if you have to pee about every half hour and a half to every hour and 45 minutes, that that's good hydration on the bike, um, especially in an Ironman where you're going to spend a whole lot of time running, so you want to be hydrated. And just like clockwork, and I had to, I had to pee. Um, I started having to pee about an hour and a half in, and I was like, okay, well, let's start trying to pee. And in triathlon, I know some of y'all don't know this, and you're gonna be grossed out. But in triathlon, a lot of times you pee on the bike, um, on a downhill, because stopping to, and you just pour water over yourself and rinse it off, and you're going fast, so it just blows off your body. Um, uh, that's just what we do. And if you think that you that's wrong and you shouldn't do it well you're that's the way the sport runs it's not me it's the sport that's what we do and you just rinse it off anyway and um the uh (laughs) on the descents we were going so fast that actually uh we've joked about it a lot with my guy friends uh since then that you're clenching onto your bike and all your muscles are uh, tensed up so you pretty much can't uh do the do the peeing on the downhill because you're too scared because it's too steep and so after a, uh, several attempts to try to pee on the downhills and not being able to then I uh, decided you know what I'm going to pull into a porta can it only takes a minute anyways and I timed myself and it took about a minute maybe a minute and a half total to go pee and throughout the uh, race every hour and a half I peed so that was uh see uh, two so three times I peed and then the uh, pulling into a porta can and then I also um, uh, the, the one time stopping for um, 
to take off my, you know, my longer shirt was a stop. That took like a minute. And then um, these big descents and stuff like that eventually stopped about... 50, I think it's like 56, 50, no, it's about 60 miles in. There's a huge flat section for 30 miles. And uh, uh, there's, that's where you pick up your special needs for the rest of the ride. And I stopped there, but that's really brief, uh, 15 seconds or something like that, to um, pick up your special needs. And that's the first time I've done that on the bike. And... It's really convenient, and I highly recommend it. So I had I had three two-hour water bottles of fuel, right? So I carried the first two with me on the bike from the beginning, and then at the uh, at special needs, I threw one of them away because I got a just an old Gatorade bottle, um, and then grabbed a new one out of special needs, and then I had enough. You can make three two-hour water bottles and have enough for your whole race. Um, and carry them with you the entire time, which works pretty good. And let's see, you know what? I think we need to take a break here. I'm gonna go check on Kai because his race is pretty soon. And we gotta go get his, gotta be there early to uh, go get his bike set up in transition area and uh, get him all set up and going. And we'll, um, we'll pick back up after that. All right, hold on. All right, and we are back. Oh my gosh, we are back in Texas actually. Did a little bit of time warp. And uh, time change, time warp, distance, everything. And, oh man, we need to keep on rolling here. Um, some interesting stuff happened. The uh, I'm up in the training cave, actually. I should mention that. Looking at the BMC, which is now for sale. Working with a guy on, um, on buying it. If you're interested, it's got ceramic speed, uh, ceramic bearings in the rear derailleur and... Uh, Dura-Ace, front rear derailleur, and SRAM cranks, and it's a BMC TMO2, a white one, and uh, it's really kind of a kick-ass bike, and there's nothing wrong with it. I just got a new tri-bike, and I want to sell it, and then why did I get a new tri-bike? Is because I wanted to get electronic shifting, and the um, I thought I'd go in and get a whole new bike with electronic shifting already on it. And treat myself to something nice. I promised myself if I finished an Ultraman, then I would, uh, then I would get myself a new bike, and that was an incentive to do the training, <laughs> to do the Ultraman. So I rewarded myself uh, with a new bike, and that's why I got a new bike. There's, I love the BMC. I miss it actually. It's a really pretty bike, very aero. Anyway, um, I'm selling the frame and fork, um, and cranks, drivetrain, and handlebars for a thousand bucks. The pads on the handlebars, on the aero bars, are kind of fused in place. You might have to dremel them out to get them to move, or just throw away the aero bars and keep everything else. So it's uh, that stuff's a little bit old on top, although it's extremely aero. And that's that. All right, so we are back on track with um, a couple of interesting things have happened. Uh, we're going to continue talking about the bike and the run here in a second, but I don't, I don't want to forget to mention that on the drive back from Ohio, from Cincinnati to Texas, uh, for a while I got to drive the um, something really cool that is sort of triathlon related, uh, a GMC Denali, a late, you know, like this year, last year model um, that was top end with all the head up display stuff that projects onto the windshield that you can kind of see while you're driving. And 
Uh, so it had your current speed, um, if there's a car too close in front of you, um, what your next turn is going to be, because we were navigating, using the navigation system to uh, get back to Texas. And so, like, are you going to turn right and how many miles? I think maybe how many miles, but, yeah, maybe. Turn right, turn left, go straight. And then also if you were about to turn left, if there was something in the way, I think it had that on there. Anyway, a lot of stuff in the uh, head-up display. And this is really cool because this is coming. It's already here. It's just not common and not quite reliable and cheap enough yet. In, um, well, you know, I think Garmin has some sort of version of this. Uh, in your sunglasses. And uh, when you're riding your bike and, not, and you don't have to look down to get your heart rate and your speed and your watts and your navigation where you're going... Uh, from your bike computer or from your back pocket if you wrote it on a map um, and it's in your line of sight instead um, that's going to be a really really big deal um, and it's so awesome that uh, I can totally see it being very very common uh, with uh, bikes bike riding in the future if you're not just you know joy riding around and and, uh, and commuting if you're actually like training anyway pretty cool stuff alerts you know 8% grade in your eyeballs. And also, I was in Houston yesterday, and I was there for a nerve study, uh, well, a doctor visit, not a nurse. They're studying my nerves. And um, I've, got a, I've got either a genetic um, or something, a nerve condition, that same thing my mom had or similar to what my mom has, but it's really rare. And the, uh, my mom started having symptoms when she was around 40 and then, uh, now she's almost 70 and she can, uh, barely, not barely walk very, a lot of difficulty walking cause her, her, uh, feet have been going numb for years, uh, progressively and slowly and slowly. And now she's, um, can't feel her feet, feet hurt, <laughs> what she can feel on her feet, uh, hurts. And it sucks. It's really, really, really bad. And so she's got a genetic thing. It's a slow-acting stuff that's progressive. And um, so I was going in for testing to see if I've got it because I've got some nerve issues too, although they're slightly different. And it's tough to tell what it is. And also, the cool thing is um, a lot of my uh, nerve testing results showed I was actually above average on many things. And also they had um, difficulty at times testing me. Uh, they poke you with needles and run electricity through them, among, among other things. And they had difficulty testing me and also had some curious responses kind of here and there um, with how uh, fit I was. And this is really cool. Uh, when you go in... I the average person in America today is uh, really unhealthy. And the so I don't think I'm above average. I'm above average for a, um, an American healthy person, American 40-year-old, um, and faster nerve responses and everything, um, and better muscle tone and all that crap. But I in no way think that I'm above average for a human. I think that if I was working on a farm all day and working with my hands or like uh, herding goats or walking all over the place all day long 
or backpacking all the time like humans are meant to do, walking, traveling, doing stuff, then I'd be exactly the same. And that's I'm basically doing that with uh, triathlon. And they had me do the thing where like you walk like you're doing a drunk test. And I put my feet so well in front of each other that they were like, well, that's atypical for a 40-something-year-old. And I'm like, 40-year-olds have problems with this? They're like, yeah. And um, I bent the needles that they put into my muscle <laughs> when I flexed my leg. That was pretty funny. And um, they stuck me in like 30 different places and ran watts through me. Mini watts is what they call them, M-I-N-I watts. And the... Um, I remember the doctor was, uh, there was a doctor and a technician, and the doctor was trying to stick me in my left arm. Um, I've got a little bit of atrophy on my left side of my body, and that's from nerves, like not telling the muscles to grow, and just a tiny bit. But the, um, and I can't feel my left pinky, uh, left two fingers, and that's the ulnar nerve starting to go. I can't feel them very well. And uh, my left my toes go numb with pressure and that's a thing called pressure palsy. But do I have pressure palsy or do I have, um, what my mom has, which is, uh, more serious, you know? And, um, but anyway, oh, she said, your, your arm has like no body fat on it. And I said, well, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And she goes, well, it's just hard. It makes it more uncomfortable to poke people with needles if they don't have any body fat. (laughs) And, but see, that's a good thing, right? Because you're you're uh, you're strong if you don't have body, or you're healthy if you don't have much body fat on your arms. I mean, really, it's your arms. And why would you have body fat on your arms? And um, there's a lot with um, stimulation of the nerves by doing stuff. You know, keeps the nerves happy and healthy. And I think as people get older, they quit doing stuff, and they um, you quit stimulating the nerves, and you start having you know, slower responses and all this kind of crap. And, um, and also, yeah, better muscle tone and all that. Uh, and also, um, they said I had arthritis in my neck and in my hips a little bit, or in my spine, um, a little bit above my hips and, uh, which is typical for people for a, um, 40 something year old. And, and they said, is that bothering you? And I go, oh, I go, oh, really? I do? And they go, yeah, it doesn't bother you. And I go, does what bother me? And they said the arthritis. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't feel anything. (laughs) Like, I don't notice anything. I'm fine. And uh, so all the range of motion and moving and stuff like that keeps arthritis as you get older from actually bothering you. And uh, because it's going to come. But there's like this thing I've always seen where they do like car testing for old to see if a car is drivable for old people, they they wrap braces around a younger driver, like a guy in his 30s, around his neck, so it's hard to turn his neck around. Well, that's because as you get older, you quit turning your neck around to look behind you as much. Well, you're going to lose flexibility and range of motion in there, and arthritis is going to start locking down on that. And I said, well, I ride my bike a lot, and I'm always looking behind me to see if somebody's coming up behind me, or when I run. I look behind me and I make sure to balance it out. Sometimes I look to my left behind me and sometimes I look to my right. And um, and then the hand-eye coordination of uh, swimming and trying to you know do that correctly. And uh, trail running and running and you know grabbing bottles behind my back and all that stuff gets your and foot placement gets your um, gets your foot placement better. 
So they, the nerve doctor said, I definitely have something because I've got some nerve issues that they can't figure out. Um, but it's slow moving. So we're not, I'm not on any kind of alarm or anything like that. And the, uh, but the amount of, of fitness that I have and the, the stuff that I do seems to be maybe preventative and protective against, uh, nerve deterioration. And I totally agree with that because I know with Parkinson's, which is kind of a nerve brain thing, um, exercise actually stops Parkinson's symptoms while they're exercising and for a little while after. And then after you stop exercising, the Parkinson's tremors start coming back. And um, so the key, what I'm trying to pass on here is I just had a big nerve study and I blew them away that even though I had something, the something isn't um, bothering me anywhere near as much as it would because I'm uh, doing triathlons. So go do your triathlons and, <laughs> and your triathlon training, and the um, it'll protect you against uh, deterioration and chronic this and chronic that. So that was cool. Now, I was in Houston uh, driving home. And I posted some funny pics uh, while I was doing all this on uh, Instagram. That's what I like to call it. Zen Triathlon on Instagram. And I picked up a pair of Ultra, A-L-T-R-A, running shoes from, I think it was Fleet Feet in the west side of Houston. And walked around, tried them on and all that stuff. And they are funny looking. They're last year's model. And they look like angry, insane, uh, evil clown shoes, uh, but they're also really, really awesome. I've posted a couple pics on Instagram, and um, you got to go check them out. They are funny looking. But so I've got this plantar fasciitis, which we're going to talk about more on the run part of the show. Uh, really bad in my feet, and I haven't run in a week and a half plus a day, maybe like uh, yeah, ten something days since the race, and my feet have been getting better. A lot, lot better in the plantar fasciitis arena, and I definitely um, when I do when I did run in training, uh, the lower the drop in the heel, uh, the better I did uh, with plantar fasciitis pain. And ultras are zero rise in the heel; they are flat, flat shoes with plenty of cushioning. And I wanted to go ahead and get some for when I do start running again to uh, see. You know, if these shoes, and I needed some new running shoes anyways, my old, my shoes are all old. And, um, and while I was in Houston and I live in a smaller town and we don't have any ultras for sale in my town, blah, blah, blah. So I swung by Houston, this uh, running shop in Houston and picked up some ultras. And, um, instantly when you put them on, uh, you feel that they've got a really, really wide, comically wide looking compared to normal shoes, uh, toe box in the front where it's really wide. It looks like your feet are in paddles. And it allows the, your forefoot to spread out and give you better balance. And then the lower heel, even though the shoes have a high stack height, which means a big cushion, you think, well, I might roll my ankle. Well, the fact that the heel is low, as low as the forefoot, actually gives you a lot more balance than if you were wearing a regular running shoe. Uh, it's odd. It's really, really odd. And uh, we've had, you can go back to the catalog and look for Jesse Stensland talking on the podcast about all the stuff. 
and she's a foot expert and big into this. And uh, I know she's designing her own line of shoes, but uh, the design of and the concept of these is um, exactly what she's talking about. Um, and so that's uh, she'd be proud to have me uh, at least doing this. So I couldn't resist, and uh, I went for a run this morning. This is August. Um, I can't read the dates; a little bit dim in here. Fifth, uh, and oh, we got to talk about my watch. The zip ties and it blew apart. My new watch band finally came in, but the um, this is August fifth, and yeah, so it's been uh, you know a week and a half plus since uh, the race, and my feet were feeling better, so I decided to um, go for a jog. Uh, because I need to know if I need to take these shoes back. Because I'm a little bit concerned that they may be too short. And because one of my toes was kind of banging into the end of it when I was trying trying them on. Um, and plus they're new, you know. And, and so I went out and ran a really flat uh, run, I guess I'm a route uh, near my house uh, this morning, um, just to kind of see and uh, and also see if my plantar fasciitis is getting any better. And these things run really differently. So they're exactly, I used to do a lot of barefoot running and they run the exact same as running barefoot. Your feet, your forefoot gets to spread. Oh, it feels so good. And your, um, your heels are as low as your forefoot. And I mean, it's just great. Really, really great. And plus, uh, you know, some padding that you don't get when you barefoot run. And so I was really, really enjoying it. Now they're, you know, they're different. So I didn't have a really efficient, good run in them. And then after about four, four and a half miles, um, the plantar fasciitis started kind of talking back to me a little bit. So I cut it short and stopped right there. Maybe five miles is what I got in. I had to run back to the house, but I was close to the house. And um, so we'll see. I'm going to go up. Uh, what, what I can tell is if my plantar fasciitis is getting better, if I wake up in the morning and my feet don't hurt at all, when you get up and start walking around and this morning I got up and walked around and my right foot didn't hurt at all. And my left foot hurt just a tiny bit. And so I was like, Oh, well, let me go try running and in these new shoes and, uh, see if my plantar fasciitis is getting better and also make sure these shoes fit, you know, uh, two birds, one stone. And so that's why I ran in them. I don't want all the emails like, dude, you got to stop running and all that stuff. I know. I haven't run for freaking 10 days. <laughs> and my plantar fasciitis was getting better. So um, uh, I, this was just a quick thing. And and also wanted to tell people about like how did they work. Um, I have not worn them long enough to give you an official review of you know how awesome they are or anything like that. But they seem to be really, really cool. And a lot of people are wearing them. And I, I, I liked running in them. It was fun. Like, like it was, it was fun, you know, like it's a totally different sensation. It was just like running barefoot, but with some protection, which is nice because running barefoot, you run barefoot a lot. Um, you can start kind of working over the underside of your foot and possibly lead to some damage, but that's your own thing. Okay. Let's get back to the bike section of was of I was about to say Wisconsin Whistler Ironman Canada Whistler and I think I left off where I was doing the um picking up stuff at special needs around 56 miles and then we headed out on a flat section for a long time it's like 
20 miles or something like that or 30 miles of flat and so it's a long long ways and it's really really flat so you're following a river that and so on the banks of the river it's flat and um it was really really cool there's i saw a couple drafting packs kind of here and there and somebody was yelling at them and uh but you know Flats are kind of what I specialize in, being where I'm from, and part of my bike route that I uh, ride on a regular basis, probably about 10 miles of it, is dead flat river bottom, just like this. So I know how to ride that stuff, and it's difficult. Like, it's a skill in its own, on its own, and uh, I did really, really well on it. Um, then after that was over, the uh, I noticed right around then, though, or after that, that was over and we start climbing up again back to Whistler. The biggest climb of the whole ride. It's like an hour and 15 minutes of climbing. And on that, um, I started noticing I wasn't as hungry and I didn't, uh, you know, I was having some problems kind of on the flat area actually when I think about it. And I think that you can stuff is just too slow. And the, um, so it's kind of like backing up in my gut. And the thing is, is I'm, I'm big on, on fat metabolism and being, you know, all that stuff and lower sugar. But at the same time, I'm also not a fan of being too low on that because if you don't eat enough carbs, then you start banging up your body and your body gets angry. And a few years ago, I started developing vitiligo, which is an autoimmune response. Your body's angry at you. It's confused, and so it starts attacking itself. And it's like, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, I'll stop you <laughs> by wrecking you. Um, it's self-sabotage. And vitiligo is where you start losing pigment and um, on your skin. So you get these white splotches like Michael Jackson had. And uh, there's two different kinds. And there's one that's like fast-acting and forever, and there's one that seems to kind of come and go or something. I'm not really all that clear on it. I'm going to have a nice sip of coffee away from the mic. That started a few years ago, probably when I was, I think when I was doing like super low carb and all that stuff. And it was just so stressful on my body and probably low protein, not enough protein as well. And just not enough calories in general. And the, um, that probably kicked it off. I'm just guessing here. It probably kicked it off. And then since then, I've changed my diet to be better carbs and you know more of this, kind of more middle path, which is a very Zen Buddhist thing, more middle path. And my last visit to the dermatologist, he said he couldn't, he, he could see the vitiligo, but it was pretty much gone. The pigment was filling back in, which is really interesting. So I had changed something. And... Um, there's that, there's that skin disorder where you're like kind of allergic to a food and you break, your skin breaks out in a rash. What is that called? And you get dry skin and it's red and itchy all the time. And it's pretty much because you're eating something that your body is angry at. So it's attacking itself to get you to stop. So I think the, the type of vitiligo I was getting might've kind of fallen in that camp. And he said that if he was sitting, and this is an expert, that if he was sitting in the waiting room uh, out outside of his office and looked across at me, he wouldn't have noticed I had vitiligo at all. And the rest of me is pretty tan because I'm outside all the time. And I said, wow, that's pretty cool. But I could still see it because I know what I'm looking for. 
And uh, the coolest thing about, my favorite part about the uh, nerve study, the nerve visit with the doctor yesterday is I, you know, you have to list off stuff that's happened and, oh my gosh, all the scars on my legs from all the bike wrecks. <laughs> kind of freaked her out. And she, but this is, it's a lifetime, especially of mountain bike wrecks and bear trap pedals slamming into your shins and stuff. And the, uh, uh, <laughs> that's funny. I'm just thinking about back on that. It was pretty funny. And I told her I had, a few years ago, I started developing vitiligo in my face but from what I could tell, it's pretty much going away. You know, I'm trying to keep an eye on it and stuff. And she looked at me. She goes, you have, what? And I said, vitiligo, you know, like like here. And I started pointing at my face. And she goes, I don't see it. And I was like, yes, that is awesome. So, uh, and still looking really closely, she finally said, well, I mean, maybe. And I was like, yes, this is great. And um, so if it's from me changing my diet back to more middle path, you know, uh, then I had kind of, you know, was walking the fine line of doing something really unhealthy before. And so I don't want to go like crazy low carb and, and, uh, you know, hack my metabolism, you know, down. So I'm better at triathlon, but I'm just wrecking my body. And, uh, so that goes back to the fueling thing on this uh, flat section, which God, that was a tangent, but, um, the fuel is too slow. Basically, what I'm saying is my, my fat metabolism is good, but it's not like crazy high. And so the UCAN is just too slow. Um, yes, I could hack my metabolism down lower, the more fat burning, you know, so the UCAN would work. But based on my vitiligo experience, I don't really want to do that. So I just would, I'd rather be kind of middle ground. So I'm biking along, and yeah, I'm like, I'm wanting the fuel. Um, but I can't cause I just don't want to digest this stuff and it's like kind of backing up a little bit. You know, I'm not, I'm not hungry, but I need the fuel, but I'm just kind of like, Ugh. so anyway, that was my experience with, with the, uh, you can, um, and then we started this big climb, like going uphill and, uh, about halfway up the climb, two things happened. One, it started getting really, really hot, uh, because now it's early afternoon, full sun and, no, not much wind. Maybe we had a little bit of a tailwind. And when you're going uphill, um, you're going slow. And so just nothing uh, is keeping you cool. And I think I said earlier, my friend Gary's bike computer registered 98 degrees. So it's getting hot. Now there's two aid stations. <laughs> I climbed so long, it had two different aid stations on it. Um, and so what I would do is grab an extra water bottle. And if it was cold... I can't remember now if they were both cold. Um, start pouring water over my body, like over the back of my neck and my sleeves and my um, my uh, jersey, trying to cool down. And it worked. It worked really, really well. And it kept me cool, cooler than uh, if I hadn't. So that's a trick for you right there. And then I had gels in my uh, bento box. And I started doing the thing where I, uh, cause you're climbing and you're trying to burn, you know, you burn some extra calories. So I tore open a gel and I was taking sips of the gel. You take a sip of the gel and put it back in your bento box, you know, like a, a third of the gel and then, uh, mix it with water in your mouth and swallow it and then follow it with some more water. And that felt great. I could feel some energy coming back online, but honestly, I was having a little bit of energy problems. Like 
I needed energy, but my fueling was off because it was probably too slow. And, um, it was kind of, it was just odd, you know, and I was not excited about that, but I'd started doing that gel thing. And by the time the climb was over and then you roll another like five miles or so to the uh, bike finish. And this is honestly one of the, probably the biggest climb I've ever done in a triathlon. Um, one of the biggest climbs in my life and the, uh, consistent, you know, and hour and 15 minutes when I did the, I keep talking about the Spain training camp. One time in the Spain training camp, we did two or two and a half hours of climbing nonstop uh, from the bottom of a mountain up to the top. And so that's my biggest climb ever. And the, uh, and on that, I remember, I think I averaged 230 Watts, but, um, during the race, the Whistler race, I finished, well, we're, we're, I'm kind of rolling along and it's kind of rolling and I'm really close to the town of Whistler. And I remember from studying the uh, hill profile, I'm like, that's, uh, yeah, the, the climbs, the climbs over and it's been over for like a little while and I'm feeling good. I'm just pedaling along. I'm actually really close to being done with the bike. And that's important because basically the climb didn't bother me. Like, uh, I finished it and I wasn't sitting there going, Oh, when is this going to be over? It was over and I'd kind of forgotten about it. And I was just riding along, just having a good old time. And the, um, that is probably the first time ever I've done an Ironman bike, a full Ironman bike, uh, in a race. And then wasn't wishing for it to be kind of over, you know, and be like, man, this, this, uh, this sucks, you know. <laughs> I kind of want to be off the bike, and um, so what that's a testament to is awesome, awesome bike training. And what I did was a mix of intervals of sitting up and a mix of intervals in the aero position, and a mix of intervals sitting up and a big, uh, heavy climbing gear um, to work on my um, to work on those muscles. And then also on Zwift, you know, there's like a thirty or forty minute uh, climb up a mountain, and so I did lots of that. And so I really focused on climbing and training and it paid off. And because I knew the climbs were going to be big enough where I was going to be sitting up, I did a lot of sitting up climbing and training way more than I've ever done before. And it ended up being great. Now I did have a little bit of my right Achilles tendon talking back to me. So I kind of had, I was like, oh man, please hold together. (laughs) And it did. I just kind of had to watch it a little bit. And I think that's, um, it on the bike, except uh, 6,000 something feet of climbing, averaged 19.2 miles per hour, even though I stopped four times. <laughs> and then um, I slid from 11th back to 88th uh, place on the bike because I couldn't descend because I'm a total puss at descending on the steep stuff. Uh, but on the bike, I did sub six hours. I did 557 and... Um, my target watts was, uh, you know, because on paper, we always talk about it on paper, um, my FTP is 310 watts, and that meant I should have been able to hold 300, uh, 220 on the bike, and I did, and um, like like it was just normal. I was just like out for a good bike ride, uh, and um, I wasn't struggling towards the end or anything like that, just pedaling along, and... Yeah, and kind of a you know nice low heart rate, just cruising, and so that's a big testament to the um, to the bike training, 
and knowing your numbers and, and kind of knowing what you're doing and being conservative on the bike. So, and training really well so you can be conservative on the bike and just relax. And yeah, again, I finished the bike ride. Like I was just like, wow, that was fun. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and also the um, electronic shifting was killer. Like uh, um, I was always in the right gear at the right time uh, because the electronic shifting has the shifting out on the sidebars, you know, out by the brakes. So you could ride the brakes and go into a turn and then be in the right gear um, uh, without having to get into the arrow bars to shift gears. It's really, really cool. And I'm using a Shimano Di2 Ultegra for that. And yeah, and bike special needs was pretty cool. So let's, before we get into uh, the T2 and the run, let's give a shout out to Amrita Bars, which I'm super stoked to have as a longtime sponsor. Awesome snacking. Uh, what I had this morning before I went for my run was an Amrita bar. And gosh, I make, oh, and I wore an Amrita kit which made me really noticeable out on the course. It's black with this beautiful rainbow of colors on the front, right in the middle, and on the back of the jersey. Really nice kit, Amrita socks, just all around, like pretty rad. And let's see, they are such a good supporter. They have some discount code stuff for us. And while I was on the trip, you know, packing a bunch of Amrita bars, which is um, really convenient, and you know it's healthy. And they're a mix of both something food you can snack on and it's healthy, and also it's rare to find a food that you can snack on and also use as fuel. Um, I'm thinking about changing up my fueling uh, for the long workouts. That maybe one of there's this thing where maybe uh, if your stomach starts shutting down and you don't want to eat anymore, and you've been using just liquid nutrition, that your stomach is like, you know, I'm sick of this liquid stuff. Give me something solid. So you could take like a small bite of an Amrita bar, and that'll stimulate your stomach. For example. Possibly. I'm going to start trying it and uh, see if that improves things. And, oh my gosh, I believe there's a truck out front. Oh, doing the carving <laughs> and the recycling. Okay, uh, let's see. Amrita, there's all kinds of cool stuff here. First off, there's amritahealthfoods.com. You can go there. Um, a discount code is ZEN2016, 2016, all one word, lowercase Zen, Zen2016 to get your uh, discount. Um, they also have a Amrita Club. Let's see, where you get 20% off the regular pli- price, free shipping. You choose the bars you want, and you can get a free triathlon or cycling top with your order. Oh, I think that's if you become part of the club where you get stuff delivered on a regular basis. And boy, the Amrita bars are starting to show up in all the big stores. It's pretty cool. Um, it's low, very low or non-allergenic. And so that reduces inflammation, which is super cool. And yeah, just the whole trip, I was snacking on Amrita bars every once in a while. And it's just so consistent and reliable and easy. Um, and doesn't spike your blood sugar like crazy. And then so you don't drop it afterwards, which is about 90% of good of good eating out there. So just all around good stuff. And they're date-based, which is super cool. So again, discount code is ZEN with lowercase ZEN2016. Go to amritahealthfoods.com and go order yourself some. Okay, now let's talk about, I got notes on T2. And where'd they go? Roll into T2 and 
I was a little bit frustrated because they take your bike from you at this race at T2. And, and when you get off the bike, you know, you just did this huge climb and you're kind of rolling along and you roll in a transition area. Everybody's cheering at you. And then you get off your bike and then some guy just grabs it and starts walking off with it. And I'm kind of like, well, wait, <laughs> I want to check my bento box to make sure I got everything out of there that I want. And, um, also, you know, have I forgotten anything? Have I left anything on my bike? And I did. I left my bike computer on my bike, which kind of sucked because uh, it made me worry later. Like, I hope nobody steals it or something like that. My Garmin 510, and especially since it's swinging all over the place. And uh, so when you do the race, um, remember that. And probably I think most Ironmans, they take your bike from you, a full Ironman. They take your bike from you when you finish. And um, yeah, you have limited time with your uh, baby before it's whisked away <laughs> to the nursery. <laughs> and then it's too late. You're like, uh, 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 what do I do? And they're like, over here, get your change bag, get your bag, your T2 bag and run. And you're like, uh, okay. So that kind of sucked. Um, but now you know, and you can prevent that. You roll in, get your stuff ready. And um, yeah, that was it pretty much about T2, nice and simple. Um, we were watching a video about Whistler that they made after the race. It just got published. And there's a guy, a T2, a volunteer, an older guy that's kind of wacky, apparently, and, and fun. Good wacky. And Emily goes, do you remember him? And I go, no. <laughs> she goes, you don't remember him at all? Didn't you talk to him? I go, maybe. I don't know. But that just shows kind of the, the zone that you're in. Okay, so on the run, uh, you start running, and it pretty much immediately goes uphill. And that kind of sucks. And uh, instead of kind of settling in and running in a flat first, I mean, like up and up and up and up. And um, there's two, it goes one direction around a lake and then around, and then another direction around a different lake. And the first lake is, um, and then it does all that twice. First lake's real small or park. I don't know if there's a lake in the middle of that park or not. It's real small and the second one's real big. And uh, first lake, trail is mostly uh shaded through the woods and a lot of off-road like nice trails easy you know gravel simple trails there's uh people that aren't in the race all over this place because it's a summer tourist destination so you're you're in a race in the middle of tourists (laughs) which is pretty fun um then let's see uh so i'm running along and i'm doing okay for quite a while maybe uh, i don't know how long quite a while and then uh i noticed under my left arm um I've got a uh, rat, like a burn from either my wetsuit or something like that when I was doing the swim. And uh, in my bottle that I run with, there's a, little pack, there's a little pocket on the bottle. And in it, I had Vaseline lip therapy. So it's like Vaseline, but in a tiny, tiny little dispenser that you squeeze and it squeezes out like the size of chapstick. And I squeezed some out on my finger and rubbed it on that raw spot, spot kind of on my inside of my bi- left bicep. And, oh, it felt so good. And so basically I lubed up the burn so it quit burning, which was nice. Because, man, salty sweat on a on basically road rash is kind of what it is. That sucks. It, that's painful. So this uh, alleviated that about 90%. And then so I'm cruising along and I'm doing pretty good. I'm eating my fuel. And then my plantar fasciitis started acting up. Hold on, coffee break. Mm. So 
I never really got to run. One thing is I never really got to train my running like I wanted to because my plantar fasciitis would act up and hurt the next day really bad. Um, And this is a hilly run. So I never really got to do a lot of hill training. And um, I was really focusing on, I used that opportunity to focus on my bike anyway, my bike training. And I've been babying my feet. So going into a full marathon after biking uh, with plantar fasciitis issues uh, is, you know, very suboptimal. So it started to hurt and then it started to hurt more and started to hurt more and worse and worse and worse. And to the point towards the end of the run, I could actually feel like little plantar fasciitis, uh, like uh, the um, fibers in my feet, the muscle fibers and tendons and stuff like that, individually start the tiniest pieces starting to pop, you know, like tink, 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 tink. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, God, this is not, little tears happening all in my feet. And I'm like, this sucks, dude. This really, really sucks. So I had to back off the pace for that. And then also, I can't blame it all on that. Uh, my fueling was off and um, I just wasn't feeling great. And so I had low energy and my heart rate dropped because I didn't want to take on any fuel because if I did, it was going to kind of make me feel sick. And, um, but then I'm not eating enough. So then, um, I don't have much energy. So I I could run walk just fine, but it was just, uh, you know, uh, three and a half, four hour marathon all of a sudden became like, uh, I didn't even look at my time yet. Five, five and a half of, uh, run walking as I was both my feet in crushing pain after a while. And then, uh, and then also just not feeling great because of, um, not being able to take on fuel. So, um, and if I did take on fuel and then started running, I'd start to get kind of sick to my stomach and like I might throw up or something. And I hate that. So I'm not, I'm not going that route. I've done that in a race. I'm going to try to avoid that. And also, um, I noticed about halfway, yeah, about halfway through the run. Um, oddly enough, the muscle above my right knee and to the right of my knee a little bit started to give out, not cramping, just started to kind of go, Hey, I'm not here now. <laughs> I was kind of worried about my knee buckling backwards because I was that muscle was just not working, you know, like it was just like, hey, I'm out to lunch. And it didn't that part didn't really hurt, but it also wasn't uh it kind of alarmed me that I was, might start getting cramps. If that muscle's starting to go, then other muscles are gonna start to go. And I never got any cramps, um, which is a good testament of good training, you know. A cramp number one cause of cramps is you didn't train enough and you're going too hard. And the um other thing was, uh, oh, when we were in the airport in, I forgot what city, Vancouver, hmm, I don't remember, but I grabbed, oh, it was Houston, when we are at Houston airport, I grabbed uh, some mustard packets, and they're real small, and I put one on my bike bento box when I got to, when we got to race day, one on my bike bento box, and one in my run bottle little pouch thing, and so I don't think on the bike I ever used it. And then on the, um, but on the run, when I was like, man, you might start getting some muscle cramping issues here. It's hot, you know, and so and I was like, um, let's go ahead and knock back some mustard. So I did it kind of as a preventative measure, uh, just a little bit of mustard kind of here and there and, um, no cramps. So it worked pretty great. And I just grabbed it for free at the uh, airport, little mustard packets. So it's real convenient. Last a long time. You just kind of keep it with you in case you start having problems and low cost. So definitely do that. If you, uh, you want to save yourself during a race or during a long training ride, I wanted to mention that, 
um, when running gets hard and you're having to do the run-walk thing, there's definitely strategies that work better than just run-walk or, you know, run until you legs explode and then walk or whatever. So at first, what seems to work really well is um, run the downhills, run the flats and run the downhills and walk the uphills, right? And if it's a generally flat course, then maybe, or very flat course, then, you know, run, walk on an interval, you know, run four minutes, walk a minute. But when um, you do that for a long time, what you'll start to notice is that even the downhills start to hurt, right? And what you do then is you uh, run the flats only. Don't run the downhills. Just run the flats and then walk the uphills and walk the downhills. Maybe run the uphills a little bit, but um, so it's a switch. As things, as your legs hurt more and more and more from running downhill, pick up the strategy and then uh, it'll actually improve your, your overall finish time a lot. And I know this because uh, I've done a whole bunch of trail runs, ultra ultra runs like 50s um, and 100, and the um, on trails that go up and down and up and down. And you start to learn these strategies over time. And because they were looping trails, you can kind of see what what works and what doesn't because you can time yourself versus the previous lap. So I want to just squeeze that in there that your strategy changes throughout the run to um, to improve things. And it actually uh, can make a big difference in your finishing time. So how about that? Oh, always walk the aid stations and drink and fuel at the aid stations. It's always convenient. That's how to have your best run when things start sucking. <laughs> Oh, the, the loops are, these loops are kind of had some out and backs and stuff like that. And so it was really cool because the other three guys I was racing with, I'd see them every once in a while and, um, I could see how far ahead of them I was. And then it's motivational, you know, you're like, don't let them catch me. <laughs> and so that was really, really cool. So the, on the race, you're going to get to see a lot of people and out and back. So you're going to see a lot of your friends and competition. That's pretty cool. Uh, Brent, uh, this other guy was starting to catch me. He was starting to gain on me for a while for the first half of the run. And I was, I was doing math and I was like, dude, he's going to catch me by the end of the run. And, but then he ended up getting sick to his stomach and slowed down big time. And, um, he was trying to make himself puke and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, he, um, uh, I ended up, he ended up not gaining on me, uh, by the last, by the last loop. And so that was, but it had me worried. Right. And so the psychology of somebody chasing you, uh, makes you push it. So I probably went about 15 minutes faster than I would have if he hadn't been behind me, you know, and had me worried. So that's pretty cool. The competition thing. And the, um, let's see towards the, uh, oh, there, I did special needs on the run, which was pretty cool. It was super easy. It took like 30 seconds. And then, uh, let's see, Canadian geese flew over me at one point. Um, they were honking, which is really funny, a flock of them, and landed in the water. And that was after a float plane uh, flew over me and landed in the water. And then there was bears on the trail at one point. Um, after I finished, or about the time I finished, but on a different part of the run course, a mama bear, and uh, was out on the trail with uh, two baby bears, and they had to shut down the run for a second um, and divert people around it, which is pretty cool. Let me check my battery on my phone here. Yeah, we're good. And let's make sure we're recording too while we're at it. That's always a good thing to do. And then also, I was getting really close to finishing, probably half an hour out or so. 
and no, about an hour out. And the uh, watch, my Garmin 920 goes, low battery. And I'm like, what? What a bunch of crap. I, um, I did all the settings, you know, turned off all the Bluetooth and, and Wi-Fi and did no GLONASS uh, GPS and, you know, just all the stuff you're supposed to do. There's like a list of things you're supposed to do to maximize your Garmin battery. And I did all that stuff and still my uh, watch died after probably 12 and a half hours, 12 hours. And that's... um. Could be because the watch is getting kind of old. It's like a year and a half old, maybe. I'm trying to remember how old it is. And so it's um, your battery, you know, starts to degrade over time, and all the charges and discharges and stuff. So I don't know. Um, but you know, they're keeping track of your stuff during the race, and that was uh, pretty cool. And also, I had a tracker on me, which we'll talk about in a second. And the uh, there's two really <laughs> frustrating things. Uh, one is coming from the USA, we're so used to, um, to miles and also my watch had died. Well, everything's in kilometers with no effort to put it in miles. So it's like, you're on kilometer, uh, 39, <laughs> like how far do I have? How long is a marathon? Uh, and, uh, I remember turning to a, to a, a spectator and I said, uh, hey, how long is the uh, is a marathon in kilometers? And she looked at me like I was absolutely insane. And I said, I'm from the USA, and we do stuff in miles. And so kilometers are, are uh, I don't know how much how long they are in kilometers. And, uh, and I'm pointing at the sign that says, you know, kilometer or whatever. And she goes, I think 42 or something like that. But the shock in her face was kind of um, humorous, if it wasn't frustrating for me. But um, there's that. And I had a real beef with the um, finish, the last, let's say, half mile. I don't know, you know, what was it? Uh, and uh, of the run, because it's one thing to have a finish line, a, the end of a run, you know, kind of wind around a little bit. That's kind of cool, right? And I think they had it wind around a little bit because they wanted to have it go through the little community village down there so more people can see people running, right? You're kind of showing off the runners by running them through town. Well, it's one thing to do that, which I'm totally for. And it's another one to run people towards the finish line and then away from the finish line. And, like, you can see the finish line and then, like, run them towards it and then away from it and then towards it and then away from it. And at one point I turned to some spectator and I go, this is ridiculous, like, them turning us away. And she's like, well, you only got a little bit further to go. And I'm like, well, do I? (laughs) Because we're going – away you go you can see the spectators at the finish line and then all of a sudden hey turn left here and you're like what and so that's um not fun uh route planning you know run it through town but uh, not like towards the finish line and then turn around and back out again that's a little bit um a little bit uh suboptimal is what i'll say and so be prepared for that if you go do that race and they haven't changed it study the end of the of the run and see what it does. Uh, I actually didn't study the end of the run route, and that's what bit me in the ass, was being frustrated, not knowing. And the finish venue is awesome. So you come across the finish line, and then you uh, walk over and kind of collapse in this big uh, green area um, with giant TV screens uh, with 
it's almost like a semi-auditorium, big, big park area. It's fantastic. And the grass is soft and cool, and you can kind of lay down. And coming from the south, it's so nice because there's no fire ants everywhere. It's just uh, super cool. And you can watch these giant TV screens, um, watch more people come in. And your family and friends can kind of watch you come in too. And and uh, somebody took a picture of me um, on that TV screen. And that's the picture that I posted on Twitter. It was a picture of a picture. And that's how good it was. So uh, I managed to run across the finish line, you know, big smile on my face because that's important. And looking good for the sponsors and all that cool stuff. Zipping up the jersey, you know, <laughs> so you can see the logos. And um, there's a funny picture on Instagram uh, – I was laying on the ground and eating pizza at the same time, laying on my side, <laughs> trying to recover. Because I've been kind of running on fumes for a long time. And now that I'd stopped running, I could actually eat. And uh, that was nice. Uh, also, hmm. Well, we'll talk about the salt stuff uh, when we get to uh, salt steak. And the uh, other thing is um, the post-race food was awesome. Really, really good selection of different food. Odd that they didn't have any beer since Canadians are so beer friendly with all kinds of other stuff I saw uh, the times I was in the in Vancouver and Whistler and ended up in Toronto. Um, uh, lots of beer all the time. Very fun. Nice. And uh, no beer at the finish line. So that was odd. And then also we walked over to the, um, the uh, vendor tent that does the tracker. Gosh, I don't have the name with me. But we did the tracker thing where you could follow me and my friends. Um, and so you come out of the swim and you put on the tracker and you press a button for a few seconds and it lights up and then it starts tracking. And what you do is the day before the race, you tell everybody the link that is going to be uh, your tracker. And Emily and the other uh, wives and kids uh, said it was really, really cool like uh, following, following us. They were really into it. Um, so definitely if you want to get that, get it. I think it was like 30 bucks for uh, all day tracking at this thing. And then, uh, let's see, after the race, uh, we went back to the, um, went back to the house that night and, uh, I was, uh, feeling great, was fine. Uh, another good testament to good training and, um, the house we were in, is uh oh my bat my laptop's about to go to sleep the um the house we're in is four four floors four flights of stairs and the um the cool thing was is we got back to the house and i was fine <laughs> as terrible as i looked on the run and me laying on the ground eating pizza was kind of a joke and you know i was being silly and the uh uh i ran i raced Gary's daughter up four flights of stairs and one. And um, because I still had like, my legs were fine and everything like that. I had not used my legs to their potential because of uh, the plantar fasciitis and the uh, fueling thing. So it's a little bit frustrating, but it's also nice uh, um, doing an Ironman and your your uh, legs aren't all destroyed. And then um, the next day, got up, um, and now we're into vacation mode. Emily's like, okay, you did your stupid Iron Man yesterday. And now we're going to go do stuff around here and continue with our vacation. And so we rode this gondola system up to the very top of Whistler. It's three gondola ride or 
gondola and open ski lift rides. That's how tall it is. Um, I think the top was at 7,100 feet. And I think we started at like 2,000 feet and go up there. So it was really, really high um, compared to where we started. And then we're hiking around, all kinds of stuff up there. My legs are, you know, a little achy, but but actually pretty good. So just walking along, you know, like no big deal, jogging, um, you know, just for kicks. Not, not really jogging, but kind of jogging along to see if you can. Felt fine. And um, so that was really cool. And apparently, the more Ironmans or long ultra runs or marathons that you do, the... Um, this is a benefit is your legs get less and less sore every time that you do one the next time, you know? Um, so if you're doing your first ever ultra marathon or first ever Ironman, your legs are going to be hammered, you know, when you do it, but you do a bunch of them and then, um, your legs kind of adapt and it's really cool. Like the next days you're, you're hardly sore at all. It's pretty neat. Um, then if you don't kill yourself out there, <laughs> And then um, another funny thing is I have a I have a, a little bit of a fear of heights, a, a decent rational fear of heights. You know, I don't want to die, so I don't call it an irrational fear of heights. Um, so Emily was joking before we got on the ski lift. She's like, you're going to um, – we're going to climb this or we're going to ride these ski lifts. Are you sure you're going to be able to handle it? And I go, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Oh, the fun of Zen is to learn not to prejudge. As he's like, I don't know. I guess we'll find out when we get up there. And then um, we're on the ski lifts, and they're open air, feet dangling off, you know, hundreds of feet up in the air, cliff face at one point, way up. And uh, I'm just enjoying the view and stuff and looking down and around. And uh, Emily goes, you okay? And I go, about what? <laughs> and she's like, the heights. And I go, oh, yeah, I guess I am. And I figured out what it was, is the descents on the bike ride were so steep and so crazy, and I had been force-fed them the days before, that um, I was used to it. So my fear of falling had kind of gone away. And um, because I'd done a whole bunch of fast downhill, and um, and I hadn't died, and so my brain had kind of turned off the fear part of it. So that's kind of neat. And... I had a job one time doing construction where I had to get way up on catwalks and sweep stuff. And the first day, you know, I was really, really scared and nervous. But you got to do it, right, to earn your paycheck or they're going to fire you. And so I made myself, you have to do it. And then after having to do it, and I'm, you know, I learned for the rest of the summer, um, I wasn't afraid of heights at all. So uh, because I had, I had to get over it. So a lot of stuff you think you've got is only um, because of uh, you're not forced to deal with it and then get better at it uh let's see the 70.3 looked like a ton of fun and um yeah man i really really had a really good time the views were incredible and we went down to vancouver and did all this cool stuff um there's grouse mountain with grizzly bears on top of it that you can get really close to and uh just all around like just an awesome time in british columbia I highly, highly recommend it. And the um, I've told people since I got back, been showing pictures and all this stuff, that if I could go anywhere summer after summer after summer for the rest of my life, or if I could move somewhere, it would be there. That place is incredible. Um, I don't know about the winters, but the summers are fantastic. And um, so I just had the time of my life really there. 
And um, if you uh, want to go do an epic race, this is definitely one to do it. Unfortunately, the weather's not consistent because I heard like last year it, they had like terrible weather, uh, really cold, really miserable. So I wouldn't say we got lucky. I would say the other people last year got unlucky because typically I think the weather's kind of like what we have or is nice in the summer. Um, but you just never know. So don't blame me if you go and it sucks. But I can tell you that if the weather's nice, it is the best Ironman I have ever done by far, especially because you know it is because I, or I know it is because it was really challenging and I didn't even do all that well on the run. I I was doing great up until then. And then, um, I didn't even care because I was so like smitten with the views and how beautiful it was and just being there. It was incredible. And the crowd, all the Canadians are so cool and awesome that, um, I cannot say enough, um, recommend it to you. And then also, uh, I've got a few training spots are going to open up, not right now, but in like a month or two. And the training I did, uh, was so spot on for this race that I do coaching. And if you want to, um, sign up for some triathlon coaching, then let me know. You can email me at texafornia, T-E-X-A-F-O-R-N-I-A at gmail.com. And uh, we can train you through training peaks and do all the intervals and everything else so that you can kick ass at your most challenging triathlon that you got coming up. Because it worked. It was awesome. And let's see. We've got a couple more things. I want to give a shout out to Salt Stick because uh, they're a relatively new sponsor. And it was really cool mixing up my fuel and then just grabbing Salt Stick uh, pills and, and throwing it in there. So I had at least a base amount of salt in my fuel and then salt stick capsules in my, um, in a little Ziploc and a dispenser on the bike and on the run. And here's a trick. When you do a training ride or a training day and you're craving salt, when you're done, you're craving salty foods. Think about that. You're like, man, I wish I had a hamburger and, uh, and some Doritos, you know, like those are, think about what is that? Well, that's like really salty, right? You, holistic guru, Christine Lynch, uh, taught me years ago, when you're craving a food, stop thinking about the food and break the food down into its pieces, its flavors, and it's crunchy or soft, right? Um, and it, the temperature, is it hot or cold? Is it, is it liquid or is it, um, you know, solid, right? You're craving. And, when you break the food that you're craving down into those pieces, you can determine what you're low on. So if you get done with a big day of training and you're craving something salty, then that means you're low on salt. And then you're like, well, I need to, uh, you should uh, up your salt during the training so that uh, the symptoms of later in the day, it, that means it's too late. You, you could have been doing better during your training. And also, while you're working out, you'll notice that you, you, know, you get a couple hours in, you start craving something salty, like, man, I wish I had something salty. Um, you, can cup, you can cut it at the root right there by if you have something, uh, if you have salt tablets or capsules, like on you right there. And you can with salt stick, right? It's super convenient, super easy. 
And uh, so I remember at one point on the run, um, I started craving something salty. Yeah, the broth. They, they had broth out on the run. And I was like, hmm, I'm really craving that broth. And that means, uh, what is it? Why do I want it? Oh, the salt just sounds good. And I'm like, oh man, you're running low on salt. Take some more, take some more salt stick capsule. And I did. And then I felt a whole lot better. So that's, uh, really cool. So you can get your uh, salt stick stuff going on. Let me pull it up. Um, we have 25% off with discount code Zentry25. If you go to other website, shopsaltstick.com. And that's uh, only in the U.S. that discount code works. Again, it's uh, 25% off. That's a lot. Uh, With discount code ZENTRY25, number 25, uh, all caps, ZENTRY25. And even though that only works in the U.S., they still say, don't forget, they have um, salt stick in stores all around the uh, the world in 30 countries. You can go to saltstick.com and use the store locator and find some. And I love it. I love it that they're a sponsor of the show. It is super cool. Um, your water won't work with an, without enough salt. You know, it'll just run through you. And so that's why I say uh, make sure, make your water stick with salt stick. It'll stick, it'll hydrate you better and get to where it's supposed to go if it's got some salt in it. So don't forget your assault. Let's see. Um, there was a study that had um, triathletes, half of them given uh, salt stick capsules and the other half just plain sport drinks. The, ath- the athletes that took the salt stick finished a 70.3 race and an average, just an average of 26 minutes faster than the control group. How about that? So there's your real, real results. And thank you, Salt Stick, for being a sponsor. Okay, now we're going to wrap up the show with audio from before the race, after the race, and then also some audio at, uh, I believe, at Ohio. If not, it's okay. <laughs> we need to push the show out. We got to keep going. We got so much going on with things uh, happening here. As we work on my plantar fasciitis and we do some ultra shoe reviews and we start biking and running again, it's, we're going to start getting in the fall pretty soon. So we got a lot going on. And we need to get this show out for everybody. I am going to the uh, river this weekend and um, continuing my post-Ironman vacationing and not training anywhere near as much. I got two high school buddies that we're having our summer get-together, and we're going to go tubing down the river. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Pretty much no working out whatsoever. And... That's good because I need to be doing stuff besides running and distracting myself is a great way to do it. And another thing I'm going to try is um, there's a lot of talk about flat pedals being just as good. I think I may have mentioned that as uh, clipping pedals. If you're doing a consistent, even effort, like in triathlon, non-draft uh, legal triathlon. And I'm thinking because I have a power meter in my bike, I'm going to do a test and go with uh, flat pedals and another test with clipless pedals, same route, and then see the difference and see what happens. And that'll be really, really cool. So that'll be uh, coming up pretty soon. I'll have some numbers to share with you. And just stuff to make you go, hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, clipless pedals are great if you're stomping and accelerating, like in crit racing. But uh, for um, just 
riding along at 70% effort like you do in an Ironman? Um, yeah, why? So, uh, yeah, that's it. Okay, let's go ahead and get into the audio from before and after the race. Lots of fun stuff in here. And let's go. All right, I'm here with the beautiful Zentri nurse, my assistant. I haven't claimed that job yet. <laughs> We're partners. We're partners, but I could be your assistant. Equal. You could be, but you're not doing a very good job of being my assistant. Oh. Anyway, Emily's on her phone looking at Facebook for uh, what? Somebody got murdered for dealing meth? We're at the airport, by the way. I went to buy meth. You went to buy meth? In B-Dice, where I used to go see all my patients. Yeah. B-Dice, Texas. So uh, we're getting ready for, we're at the airport, the little tiny College Station Airport. It has two gates that share the same little lobby. We're right here. And uh, what'd you say? You said you're talking really loudly. Oh. And your breast smells like onions and guacamole. Because I went to Freebirds World Burrito. And we're about to get cross-checked. Are you? We're row six, C and D. I just told Emily a while ago that if we lived on a boat together, we could call it the relationship. Mm. What do you think about that? <laughs> it's great, honey. It's very creative. What do you think? Do you think we're going to see? We're going to go to Canada mm-hmm. for our triathlon. Our triathlon. Do you think we're going to see any moose? I hope so. Bears. I'm gonna keep a record of them. I'm gonna make a data boost of boot moose. I want to go see the lumberjacks, like Sandra and Brent posted that they saw. Lumber, somebody else told me about that too. They might get offended. You just go up and take pictures of them. Yeah, it's like a they do it for people to watch them. Like a lumberjack contest, mm-hmm. like log rolling yep, or something. All that. All that. And chopping. Yeah. I'll show you. We the can picture. do that here. Where? You can chop down a tree. The whole Sam Houston State Forest is a hey, anyway. is a pine tree forest for lumber so those logging roads mm-hmm. so are you excited about our race um, my race what are you, you can only our race what are you going to do in Whistler I'm going to go ziplining and whitewater rafting and watch you do your race and, and check out the little town of Whistler which is supposed to be really cool and then after the race we're going on the gondola ride all of us together I've been assigned this job okay I've been told yeah it's happening it's happening <laughs> All right. All right. We better get on the plane. Okay. All right. Love you. I love you. All right. I am here with the beautiful Zentri nurse. She's about to go to sleep, so we got to catch her before she falls asleep because it's the night before the race. Mm-hmm. Are you excited? I'm very excited. Yeah? Yeah. So the race is actually a smaller race than most Ironmans that we've been doing because we're used to doing the 2500 yeah. 2, racer Ironman Texas. And Lake Placid is going on this weekend, too the other side of the country so this one has like 1500 uh iron man and then i don't know how many uh half iron man i thought gary said like 600 600 what half iron man. half iron man and then um uh, i've had a blast like doing all kinds of stuff but not as much as you what have, what have you been doing i got to go ziplining yesterday and what was ziplining what's that it's where you hang from a cable suspended above the ground and zip down it. And wasn't it so high? It's like one of the tallest in the world, and it's... That wasn't the one I was on. Oh. That, that one's called the Sasquatch, and they said we could come back and do that. That's, that was not the one we, we did. Okay. We did, like, it was five different ones, 
And the last one we got yeah. to do freestyle and I hung upside down. Yeah, there's a video down. of you on Facebook hanging upside down from the zip line. Mm -hmm. And then you went whitewater rafting. Yeah, that was awesome today. We had a great time. Any sharks? Orca? Yeah. No, we just saw the bear yesterday. Oh, the bear. Tell me about the bear. Saw the Tell bear. everybody about the bear. Well, we were driving up to get on the zip line and we looked out to the side or the front of the car and there was a bear just like right there on the side of the road. Uh -huh. And he kind of looked at us like, okay. <laughs> you know, we all freaked out and the, the guides and the people that live there are like, yeah, it's a bear. But yeah, yeah it was So cool. whose car were you in? The van that drives, that works for that company. Oh, zip, it was taking up to the top. It was zip track or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, and so then, yeah, and then today's your birthday. Oh, yeah. it is. And Red Bull has a downhill mountain bike course that's insane looking going so on. Your it's just my birthday. Big deal. Yeah. It is a big deal. Oh. And Kat made you a card and <laughs> saying happy birthday and you got a cake. Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. in Canada. I mean, it is a big deal. Yeah, we're in Canada. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. A. A. What's that? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Mm hmm. Anyway, yeah. Anyway. The people are really friendly here. Everybody that we've, every place we've gone, they're just so efficient with like getting you set up and ready for whatever thing you're doing, like the zip, the planning thing or the whitewater rafting. That's been pretty amazing. And polite. And, and I, I polite. appreciate, I like polite people. So we may have to retire here so that yeah. we can not be by annoying. And it's uh, cooler. Uh, uh, Hyper aggressive Americans. Like everybody here is just so nice and mm -hmm. pleasant. Yeah, and like when we went to the grocery store, they charge you per bag. Like you need to, you're supposed to take your your reusable bags, and they they counted how many plastic bags we use and charge us five cents a bag. I didn't tell you that. Like that happens really at a lot are, of cities in the well, United States. They're really being trying to take care of the environment and make sure you recycle stuff. And, yeah, you know all that. That's been pretty. It's very clean and pretty. This area is. Yeah. So, Chris, who's sort of a local, um, he lives out of Vancouver. Uh, took Gary and Brent and I out to drive the course, and it's uh, challenging. <laughs> it's just that there's there's hills uh, and downhills and turns and potholes and stuff like that, you know, where if you were familiar with the course, it wouldn't be a big deal at all. But because we're not familiar with the course, then it's going to be rough. I think you got to add like half an hour. Or more to your a normal Ironman time for this one, just for the bike. Hmm. And then the run has two hills or something like that, three hundred feet elevation gain in each hill. And uh, yeah, it's going to be challenging. And the and it's not spectator friendly at all. Like we're having a hard time. All the the wives on the and run. the kids we're having to decide. It's yeah. not like Ironman Texas where we can easily find you and get back and forth to places. I don't know. So we're working on that. That's kind of true. But I mean, Texas, you couldn't find us on the bike either. I don't know. It's harder to get, like, anyway. Anyway. So we are really close to the race site, which is cool. And um, downtown Whistler, the village, if it's, I don't even know to call it a downtown, is a real... Uh, fun and mm -hmm. you, there was an eagle and, an, and a great horned owl down there on display. Oh, yeah. Did you yeah, see I that? I did see that briefly. And um, real touristy, super, super hyper extreme mountain biking uh, place where we went to like six or seven different bike shops looking for a between the arms arrow bottle. And um, 
there was that many bike shops down there? Oh, yeah, but they're all mountain biking shops. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think what else. Uh, I've made all my fuel, <laughs> which was um, I've got powder, like, all over me. Emily came in and asked me a question that had some numbers on it right in the middle of me trying to measure stuff with a digital scale. And uh, um, it's just insane. I, that's still one thing. I one, one of the things I don't like about doing uh, long course racing is measuring out all the fuels and stuff like that. It's just um, so funny to watch all four of you, you and Cliff and Brent and Gary, y'all all sort of have the same stuff, but then you all have your own thing and mm-hmm. like watching all the little things that everybody does it's before the race. Huge and, opportunity for somebody to figure this out <laughs> yeah. and eliminate this problem, you know, of like what works for people. Well, I think it different. depends on the person. You can't no, it, well, it can't depend that much per person, you know? Uh, yeah. It no, it can't be a million different solutions. There's all are all doing there should, stuff. I know it's, and it's ridiculous. Like yeah. it's a huge, if someday say 20 years from now, 50 years from now, they're going to know exactly what you should take. They can blood type you or something like that and go, okay, this is your fuel and this is how much water and whatever. And then everybody can just buy it and then be yeah. done with it instead of, making everything by hand mm-hmm. you know yeah. um so anyway i'm doing 200 calories of you can 100 calorie of hammer uh gel because my best run ever was totally on hammer gel um but my stomach kind of hurt while doing it so that's on the bike um my best race ever uh, was all hammer gel but that was running and it was about 200 maybe 300 calories per hour and like I said, my stomach kind of hurt towards the end. Um, so I'm going to do on the bike, I'm going to do 200 calories of Ucan, 100 calories of hammer gel on the bike. And then when I get on the run, 200. And that's less than you normally do, I hope. Yeah. That's what we talked about. And know. also, I've made two-hour water bottles. So I got two on the bike, and I'm going to pick up the third one and throw one away at special needs. And... Um, and also, I am telling myself that uh, don't try to finish any water. Don't try to finish any fuel. If I don't drink it, then then it th- that's it is. it is it is what it is. F it. That that's it. And I throw it away mm-hmm. um, because where I get in trouble, my potential is always cut off at the knees and at the stomach by overfueling. Every single time, every single time, every single workout, I overfuel and every single long workout, I overfuel and then I have a trough where I try to do whatever. So I'm making my fuel and then I'm just going to sip on it. And if I don't finish it, uh, who cares? And um, I remember one time I did a half Ironman. Remember I went to Northern California, I went to San Francisco area and I did the Morgan Hill triathlon half Ironman. You don't remember that? And uh, that was not, really cool. Not wildfire? What are you about? I went out there and did the Silicon Valley, the Silicon Valley um, oh, half. God, they, 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 yeah. And I had one of my, I did a 503 or something like that. And it was a really hard course. And the run wasn't that hard, but the bike was really vertical. And the, um, the, uh, the thing was, is halfway through the bike, aid stations didn't have water. Um, and because they didn't have water, I couldn't eat. 
And so I ate less. And on the run, I had an epic run. Yeah. Like, I had an unbelievable run. And uh, so I just need to eat less and just go with it. Um, it's my lesson. And um, but anyway, I want to th- thank you, Bay, yeah. for all the putting up with all my ridiculous, stupid training. So thank you. I know you've had to do everything while I'm doing the most selfish sport ever. The parade of the selfish. This parade sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. Taking yeah. Kai to scouts, all this crap. I'm sick of it. Like, I'm ready for this to be over. But um, This race or triathlon in general? The, the, no. <laughs> okay. Dude, I'm way too invested. Just clarifying. Yeah. Uh, tri-bike transport. Um uh, scraped up the front of my fork on my bike. I hope it's not damaged forever. They already emailed me back mm-hmm. and said they're going to start working on, I have to file a claim and all that stuff. But my fork is scraped up through the carbon, down into the carbon. Um, but it's, it's an accident. And so whatever. Okay. Well, oh, I'm you're tired. tired? What are you going to do? I'm, I'm tired, man. It, it takes a lot of effort. So you're tired. And what are you going to do? Go to sleep. Oh, you want me to turn off so you can go to sleep? Okay, so Kai and I are really proud of you. So we wish you good luck. I'll shut up and go away. We, we were on that note, and then you went off the direction oh. about the bike. So, yeah. okay, so we love okay. you, and we'll see you in the morning. Okay. Can I keep talking to myself? Okay. All right. You, love you. Where are you going? I'm laying down. Okay. Uh, okay, so now we can talk. Emily's turning off the lamp. There she goes. It's still daylight. Uh, it's still daylight outside, babe. She's already going to bed. What do you think about Canadian TV? Too? Yeah, I need to do my little my little thing before the. Okay. Before uh, okay, so we're gonna get up at four, and coffee's already pre-made. Did you put it back downstairs? In there? Yeah, I put it back in there. Okay. Um. Oh, another thing I'm doing is I'm doing one tea bag of green tea uh, per hour. For two hours, I think. What am I doing? For two hours? Yeah. I don't know, but you better figure that out correctly. I got it. One one tea bag of green tea for two hours, because green tea, man, it makes me like amped. And also, um, caffeine is a fat burning enhancer. So you want to burn extra fat calories? It's one of the reasons it gives you energy, is it turns on fat burning. So you've got extra energy. And I guess um, I haven't looked to see how many Kona slots there are for everybody. Um, if there's only like one or two, uh, that ain't going to be me because so I'm not that fast. Um, but I am going to do really, really, really good. And I guess what I'm, I'm looking for is like, uh, well, I think I'm going to do really good, is a potential, um, no, percentage of overall finish. Like... Uh, Chris got the guy that took us around driving the course. He got 17th last year with an 11 hour. And that was the 35 to 39. So that's, um, that shows you how hard it is. And so, uh, let's see if I can get, um, a good percentage finish. Um, and then I could compare that to like what percentage would that be at like Ironman Texas, for example. So let's say I get uh, 15th percent or 20th percent or whatever percent it is. 
And then I go look at Ironman Texas time, and then I figure out what percentage uh, the full Ironman Texas is of that. Then I can go, oh, okay, so at Ironman Texas, I would have gotten this, and uh, continuing my quest, really, for a sub-10 Ironman, I think is is a, a nice goal. That, that would be a mate. I don't think that's possible here. It's too vertical. We're climbing out of the... Um, we're climbing uh, out of the lake, eventually up to the ski lifts, <laughs> to where the Olympics were, where they had the downhill ski jumps. Have you seen those yet, Bay? Did you go see those? Mm-mm. You know where they do the big downhill ski jumps? I just saw the bobsled thing. Um, where they fly through the air. It's like the most insane, biggest ball sport I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, we're riding from the bottom of the valley up to those. Uh, as just one of our hill climbs. Um, that's like the first big, big hill climb. So we got stuff like that, which is uh, a little bit crazy. Um, I'm trying to think. There's a Canadian TV is uh, funny. It's different. They make fun of themselves a little bit. There's a commercial for uh, uh, Little Caesars Pizza where there's lots of A and a boot and hoser, <laughs> they say in the in the commercial. Um Traveling uh, with the data package is uh, uh, a challenge. Got to turn off all the data on our phone. I had it not turned off for about 20 minutes, and I burned through, maybe it was like 10 minutes, I burned through 20 megs of data in that amount of time without doing anything, and uh, just background apps, checking stuff. And uh, two days of just hanging around and trying to keep cool and not do anything stupid and uh, not forget too much stuff. Oh, uh, I'm so used to listening to Pandora and in Canada, uh, Pandora is blocked. There's like no Pandora. So I can't go off and veg in a corner and listen to music and, and uh, visualize and focus uh, and kind of meditate like I like to do to uh, different genres of music and that's been a little bit of a challenge trying to figure out that uh, that was unexpected so uh, we'll try to um, see if we can get some audio tomorrow morning but it's four of us and we're all going to be gathering up our crap and trying not to forget anything and uh, I don't know if it's going to be conducive to recording so this may be it until after the race and just going to try to eat less and keep my uh, pace and try to keep the watts low-ish, even though there's tons of hill climbing, which is a challenge. And the first lap of the run will be kind of an exploratory lap. <laughs> I've seen the big hill, but we saw it at car pace. Um, and then the second lap of the run will be, um, you know, where you lay it all on the ground, lay it all out. Uh, of course, if you're not walking by that time, but we'll see. All right. That's it. Everybody stay safe and we'll talk more tomorrow. Out. All right. It's race morning. Emma and I are in the upstairs room and the girls downstairs, the little girls just turned on their playlist to motivate us. And they went around and last night asked us what our favorite songs were. Mine's Motley Crue, Kickstart My Heart, but I figured that was a good one. I haven't gotten to that one yet, so we've heard Eye of the Tiger and We Are the Champions. 
Yeah, now it's Europe with the final countdown. So all the other guys here that I'm racing with are the age group older than me. So they got some pretty good taste in music, but I'm still waiting for that Motley crew. And yeah, just getting ready to go. How do you like waking up to that, baby? What? It's great, honey. And uh, ate just 680-something calories of chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> figured, that was, figured that was easy. It went down fast. Got up at 3. And that's it. Out. All right, here's mine. My Motley Crew. All right, I got to turn off the recorder. Got to keep packing. That's so good. All right, we're here at Age Group Nationals with the beautiful Zentri Nurse again. How's it going? Good. What's up? Kai's next to us, but he didn't want to be interviewed. <laughs> and uh, But we just had a little bit of uh, shenanigans yeah. with uh, somebody stole the cow head from the Chick-fil-A the, uh, store. Yeah. What happened? Well, I just turned around, and there was two cops walking back with um, a kid about Kai's age, and he was carrying a cow head. And, and they go... Giant cow head. Giant cow head. And they go, why'd you take the cow head, son? <laughs> And he, I don't, I didn't hear what he said. And then right after that, a lady from Chick-fil-A came on and go, did anybody see the cow head? Yeah. We're like, yeah, if you go that way, they're right down there. It's so funny. Did anybody see the cow's head? <laughs> she looked all stressed out. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, she was in charge of, I guess, head. of the cow head. Don't lose the cow head. So, uh, they're on the, we're watching the, uh, <laughs> good, job. good job, man. We're watching the 15 to 18, um, uh, boys. Or 16 to 18, maybe? And they are freaky fast. And we've watched the swim, which was 750 meters? I think so. Or yards? And big mass start. What do you think? It was a few hundred kids? Maybe a couple hundred? Yeah. Uh, all jumping off the pier at the same time. The girls are getting ready now. Uh, sideways start, like you see on TV. And then um, the bike ride had packs going by. And we're right in the middle of it. It's really cool. We made whoosh by. What do you think the bike ride was? How far? Oh, here's the sprint. We're going to do this on audio. Is this guy in the race? Good job, good job. There's your thing right there. Good job, guys. Wow. Good job. Look at him die. All right, so uh, Kai's team is up here. Of course, Kai's 11, so his race is tomorrow. But we came to watch all this so that uh, we could see what it looks like. Come on, you got it! Come on, man, you come on, it. it's right there, it's right there. Good job, good job. So what do you think of all, all this? It's exciting. Yeah? Yeah, it makes you, me nervous to watch the bikes, though. Did you take the cow head? <laughs> yeah, I took the cow, and then I gave it to that kid and he got in trouble. Yeah, yeah. all right, cool. All right, well, uh, Kai's race is tomorrow. Well, oh, look, they're warming up or yeah. something over there. Is that the girls? Yep. So Kai can do some swim warm-up this afternoon after the girls' race, maybe? They are. At, at 10.50, they're supposed to be riding the bikes, and then at 1 o'clock, they're doing a swim. Okay. All right. Cool. This is a really cool venue. We're in Cincinnati, and um, there's a long, skinny lake that this, they do the swim in, and then the run loops over around the lake. So two loops for the older boys. Probably two miles, maybe two and a half, maybe three. And then, um, I don't know. And then, 
Yeah, the bike route went uh, north of the lake twice, two loops. So we got to see all that. It's very exciting, very cool sport. And it's national, so there's kids. Oh, there's the kid that took the cow head. What do we do? Let's go ask him why he took it. Let's go ask him. Let's interview him. Why did you Why did you take why the you cow, cow head, son? What were you feeling when they caught you? Hopefully embarrassed. <laughs> All right. And it was funny. I said, uh, I'm going to interview you two. I'm going to record. And Kai goes, no, Dad, no. You're so embarrassing. Yeah. Now he can tell he wants to be on it. Hey, Kai, you want to be on this? No. <laughs> All right. Be back in a little bit. Oh, I've been posting the um, short little videos to Instagram. Zen Triathlon on Instagram if you want to see pictures, videos of the of the racing. Kids race. All right, out. Bing. All right, we are really lucky here because I just realized and remembered that I'm sitting next to Irene, who is a state champion cyclist, right? Yes. She's a little bit nervous and a little bit shy. Oh, wow. But... Kai, she said you're quiet when you're alone, so live up to your reputation. Okay, so, but you won state in what? Um, uh, Criterium. Oh, wait, how old are you, by the way? I'm 11. Okay, so go ahead. Race age 12, I won a Criterium, a time trial, team time trial, and I won a cycling track at Frisco. So, uh, so Frisco's a town outside of Dallas, right? Yeah. Okay, so what is cycling track? What does that mean? It's on a velodrome. So, so. you're a 11-year-old ve girl velodrome racer. Yes. And you won state. Yes. So how far is that race? Uh, depends. Uh, we There's different races. There's 500, there's 200, there's kilos. It's all points race, elimination. There's all sorts of different things. I did a 500, mm -hmm. and then I did a 1 kilo, and then I did 2 kilo. Okay, so you're state champion, so you're obviously very successful at this. So what advice do you have to people that want to get started in track cycling? Uh, What's the well, difference between riding out on the road? Oh, it's very different. It's, it's a whole lot of fun, but it requires more strategy. Okay, is it safer than riding out on the road, do you think? Well, there's pros and cons. On a track bike, you can't brake and you can't stop pedaling. Oh, yeah, you have no brakes, right? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. bad. Do they take the brakes off? No, 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 there is no brakes. It's a completely naked bike. So, okay, yeah. And there's no shifters either. Right. So it's single speed. Yeah. Is it a, is it a track, is it a fixed, fixed gear? Fixed gear. stop pedaling. They're jealous over there that you're being interviewed, so just ignore them. So, then, uh, how do you, what kind of bike do you ride for that? I ride a Pinarello. Um, if you want to get started, I suggest maybe a steel bike with like a very thin uh, frame steel bike. Yeah, I used to have a fixed gear steel bike. It was awesome. It's, my coach told me it was good for starting, and then uh, and then when you get uh, when you start getting more experience, you can move to an aluminum, and then you can move to uh, carbon fiber, but you, you really need to gain experience and strategy and learn how to control the bike first. So how old do you have to be to start doing that? I think, I mean, I think you can be like nine, I guess. Now tell me, you said something about TTT, so team time trial? Yeah. So which team did you ride for for that? I just rode with a bunch of bonehead boys. <laughs> and y'all won? Yeah. Because of you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because of all the boys on the So, uh, they were very old. 
Now th- those bikes had. Do those bikes have brakes? And no, that was on. Uh, that was a diff. That was road. Okay. So I was about to ask. That was open road. I know that. Uh-huh. The TTT was open road. Yeah, and so was the TT and the Criterium. The road race isn't until when's the road race? It's like August or something or September. Are you gonna go do that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, good luck. Thank you. And how are you enjoying the race here so far? Nervous. Kind. I wouldn't be nervous at all. And hot too. Have you looked at your competition's times at all to see how you no, stack up? I know who my competition is. Okay. So you just gotta draft off of them on the bike until the run. Ours is non-drafting. This is not draft legal. It'll have to be. I'd but the older boys were drafting. That they're draft legal. They're like 15, 16. Okay, so we still can't draft until then. We can't. I can't draft until next year. Man, so you just need to stay in touch with your competition. Yeah. Right. I know who it is. Yeah. I know I'm top five. You know your top five? Yeah. Sweet. Maybe we'll see you on the podium. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. See, that's easy, huh? I know you're gonna ask me questions. I did. I asked you a ton of questions. All right, that wraps up the show. And like I said earlier, we got a lot of stuff coming up. We've got uh, zero drop shoes from Ultra. We've got flat pedaling on with a power meter on the bike to see if it's better than clipless. We've got interviews. got all kinds of cool things coming up. Everybody stay tuned out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down out. 